Today's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by State Farm. Just like football, life can be unpredictable. That's why State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents. A local State Farm agent could be just around the block, whether you talk in person, by phone, or through the app. State Farm is there. Go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. State Farm, talk to an agent today. Meanwhile, Amazon Logistics wants to tell you about the Delivery Service Partner Program, a new opportunity for business leaders who want to own and operate their own package delivery business. You'll get access to Amazon's logistics training and technology and start building a motivated delivery team in your community. To learn more about becoming an Amazon Delivery Service Partner, go to logistics.amazon.com. We're also brought to you by the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast, where we put up a new one this week. Shaquille O'Neal and his place in the Pantheon uh, did that one with Jay Adande. First episode is already up. We have another Shaq-related episode coming later this week. If you have not subscribed to that podcast, please do. You can get it on Apple. You can get it on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you want. It's there. It's waiting for you. Check it out. Coming up, we have a great podcast today. Kevin O'Connor is going to come on to talk about the 10-game NBA awards. And then... Back by popular demand, the one, the only Matt Damon. But first, Pearl Jam. All right, I don't know how we were able to book him. From the mismatch on the Ringer NBA show, Kevin O'Connor. What's going on, Bill? I'm here Anytime, to talk to Devin Booker. <laughs> yeah. You got to throw Devin Booker in my face. We get to talk about the 8-1 and Celtics. We're taping this on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, but that's not the reason you're here. We're going to do the 10-game awards. There's been 10 games. Um, it's way too early. This is These are overreactions, but it's also fun to just put the league at least in a little bit of perspective right now. MVP for me is just two people through 10 games. I have Giannis and I have Luca, And okay. I don't really think there's a third candidate yet. Prove me wrong. Who do you have? So you wouldn't have LeBron in there? No. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have Kawhi because of the load management? No. I, I think they're in the mix, but I, I just, those were the two that jumped out to me. Well, I mean, with, with Giannis, he's the guy. Right Giannis now. is the guy. I mean, so it's clearly he's the guy. He has more points than last season, more rebounds, more block shots, more steals, more assisted passes. And he's doing it with, you know, at, as good scoring efficiency with worse circumstances. No Brogdon. And now no Middleton moving forward. Yeah. And a system that teams have known for a year now. And he's still producing at an even higher level. So he's the guy right now. And with Luca, I think he's already a top 10 player in the NBA. But but I haven't heard a lot of talk about him being an MVP candidate. So like what is the case for him to be second right now for you? Their offense is really good, and mm -hmm. he's the only reason. <laughs> because KP has not been I think they're number one offensively. He's averaging a 28, 10, and 9. They've got really nothing from Porzingis yet compared to he's like he's playing like a six foot five wing spotting up from three right now. Yeah, but okay, isn't that kind of how you would, you should be using them if you're Dallas? They, there's all these the, different Dallas is number one on offense right now. For yeah, what it's worth. there's all these different yeah. stats about when you just put him twenty four feet away from the basket, he's devastating. Sure. And, and, and it always seems like they're trying to force feed him and make sure he's involved. And it's like, dude, 
you have your offense. Run everything through Luca. Have Porzingis. He's a stretch mm-hmm. five. And then just put shooters around them and nobody's stopping you. And you're right. Like, that's a big part of it. And that's what I talked to, you know, Mark Cuban about when I was in Dallas through the preseason story on the Mavericks. Him and Donnie Nelson both said one of the reasons behind having the floor spacers so far away from the three-point line is just because of the impact it makes on the rest of the team. Higher points per shot, you know, on cuts, on on pull-ups, on drives, driving kicks. And so there's value in Porzingis just being a spot-up shooter out there. But... As we saw with Boston's loss to Dallas, he still has not gotten Boston's to the beating of Dallas. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. I, I misspoke. He had to correct it. Yes, it was a big course. comeback yeah, win by Dal- the Dallas's loss. Yeah. Uh, Porzingis still cannot beat smaller players on the post. And that's I mean, they an had air- Marcus Smart on him. Oh, Marcus Smart's awesome. Marcus yeah, Smart, yeah. the Celtics' best big... Haley wrote about this for the Ring yeah, a couple days ago. <laughs> He's literally their best big man defender. I think Haley undersold Marcus Smart on offense, though, with the pick-and-roll playmaking yeah. and all that. But the defense, I mean, Haley's right. Like, he is a defensive wizard on the end of the floor. And when I talked to KP during Mavs preseason, he brought up Marcus Smart mm. as a guy who has effectively stopped him in the post before. And KP said, you know, now I'm better at beating those smaller players. And he hasn't been, though. I think for Dallas to be... At the level this team can be, like Luca already, I agree, is an MVP candidate. I think he's a top 10 player in the league already at 20. But, Amazing. But Porzingis, for them to really elevate in the playoffs when beating mismatches is a necessity and maybe you're putting two guys on the ball against Luca, KP's going to have to be somebody who can beat those smaller players on mismatches. Because right now, teams are just comfortable putting smaller guys on them. Boston could put Smart on them. They can put Tatum on them. They can put any of their smaller guys. There's no reason for any team to feel like they have a have to put a larger player on him. And Porzingis needs to change that. That's a failure on him because... With his size, he should be able to go six feet from the basket on one of the box and just shoot a jump hook over anyone mm-hmm. who's 6'3". And if he can't do that at this point, he's got to reevaluate stuff. But, I mean, look, he missed, what, 20 months? I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about how he's looked so far. And defensively, he's still seven foot three yeah. and knows how to put his hands up. And it's mm-hmm. not like he's been bad. Not at all. No, he's still been an overall good player. I don't, for Dallas, I just so. feel like they have tapped into very little of that combination from the games I've seen. They've been one of my favorite league pass teams. I'm with you. Giannis 30, 14 and seven talked about him on the BS pod on Thursday. He has made the leap up. Now Middleton's out for a month. No Brogdon mm-hmm. this year, and it hasn't mattered. It hasn't For affected sure. his stats. And he, he passes the eye test. And all he's this been stuff. more of a threat from three, too. Ever yeah. since around last Christmas, he's been, you know, 30 plus percent from three on catch and shoot and dribble jumpers. So he's he's even a bit more of a threat than he was and that we sometimes perceive him as. So I, I I wonder how maybe that changes things for him moving forward if that shot keeps progressing. It's it's unbelievable to see. He is the best day-to-day guy in the league. I think Kawhi is the guy who would want in the fourth quarter. And I think LeBron is probably the best high ceiling game to game guy would be, would be where I've landed on that. Is there anybody else that belongs in that MVP conversation that we haven't mentioned? No. Nah, well, how many games has Embiid played? He's yet again off to what a 62 yeah. game pace or whatever. Something like I that, don't yeah. think so. I, I think cause if you go through all the usual suspects, a lot of Jokic hasn't really gotten going no. yet. And he would be the other guy I would watch out for. The Celtics in Utah have been very kind of full team kind of sure. stuff. There's no like breakout mm-hmm. MVP it, guy. In. Is there a case Bo- in the Booker? top five? I mean, is there, how about a Siakam? I was going to say another young guy. Siakam, Siakam was the other one. Hey, it's another one of those things where the all NBA forwards this year 
assuming <laughs> yeah. we don't have injuries, is just going to be brutal. Mm-hmm. Like Siakam's going to end up being like a third team on NBA. We, we need we need more than three teams. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. And where do you put Lucas? He a guard or a forward? Because well, technically I mean, he's a forward. You're right? touching on the ultimate issue here. It's like let's just get rid of the positions. Yeah, get rid of them. It's a positionless game today. Who cares what it means for history with you know traditional basketball with comparing two guard, you know six guards and six forwards and one center. The fact is, is that the game has changed. And I think at this point in the league moving forward, there's there's no way it's ever going to go back to this traditional small 6-1 guard slotted into that all-NBA slot. Like, like, why is LeBron listed as a forward, but not a guard, you know, a quote-unquote guard when he is has effectively always been a playmaker? Yeah. But Ben Simmons is, like, listed as a point guard in last year's all-NBA vote. And that hurt Simmons, you know, I, I thought, um, because of guard was loaded, so loaded I last year. I actually have a solution for this. I think it should be... The pure point guard, like Dame Lillard, Kemba, Kyrie. So like a PG on there. PG. PG for point guard, okay. And then a center. And then three perimeter spots. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it has to matter where they play. But what is, this, this might be a silly question, but what is a point guard though? I mean, is LeBron a point guard? Is is Luka a point guard? It's, I'm it, almost is, thinking more like height, like small, big. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Maybe it's just before perimeter I mean, is he, people. Is Giannis and, a big or is he a perimeter? I don't know. Is he a, or is he a perimeter Giannis player? Giannis is honestly a center. Kind of, he does he, play he's probably the tallest guy in that team. Maybe he has to be some sort of mathematical. This is like overcomplicating things. Yeah, but you know, if if you take share of shots in the paint or around the rim, then you're considered a center. So like a Gian, dunk Gian, percentage. Yeah, like Giannis would be therefore considered a player. But then that that's a whole. I think it's overly complicating. I think it would just be positionless. But that's not a bad yeah. idea. If layups and dunks were over a certain percentage of. The number of field goals you take, you're you're probably a low post player or sure. somebody who's around the rim. Uh, all right, so we both have Giannis for rookie. Man, this is a brutal rookie <laughs> class so far. This is the following is true. John Morant leads the rookies in scoring. Oh boy! And the freaking Warriors guy, Eric Pascal, baby. <laughs> who you didn't go all the way in on on the draft guide, but you acknowledged like and him. liked him. Yeah, I think. But I, think I feel like this a- could have been a huge win for you. Sure, but you know, there's the the flaws in, in the age as well with True. his game, and he's fallen into a. Think about the situation he fell into with Golden State, a team that has typically done a pretty good job at utilizing talents like him, floor spacing bigs, right. somebody who plays hard, you know, a good smart player. But then, like all these guys get hurt, and there's all this opportunity to for, for him to put up big numbers early. I mean, for, it's been a good opportunity for him there. And one guy that I think we have to mention, Ja, for what it's worth, I think is rookie of the year so far. Yes. Are you, how about PJ Washington on Charlotte yeah. starting for them? How about Charlotte? Charlotte's kind of fun yeah. to watch. Devontae Graham. How about the Cody Zeller resurgence? Oh, yeah, the whole team, really. I, yeah. I think with PJ Washington, though, he's been a pretty good two-way player for them. Solid on defense. I agree. Rim running, shooting from three, passing the ball well. He's... He got better from year one to year two at Kentucky, especially as a shooter. And then he's gotten made another leap year two in Kentucky to year one in the NBA. And I, I've been really, really impressed by him. My guy Malik Monk still hasn't gotten going. I'm worried. You're worried I'm officially. Worried. I'm, I'm worried. Yeah. Just, I think he's at the point now where you try to steal him if you're another team. Do you, uh, he's like how much you giving up three? We talking year. like a second round pick? What yeah, are you investing feels, in him? Feels very rocketsy to me. Hmm. Hey, Malik, stand in the corner. Interesting. We got, I mean, the Rockets were taping this Tuesday afternoon. They're starting Ben McElmore. Oh, boy. Eric Gordon. We, we, there's news today that he'll be out. <laughs> yeah, about tough. A month. 
Um, all right, so we both have Ja. Rough, uh, rough rookie season so far. If you bought, if you spent a lot of money on rookie cards, Zion hopefully will come back. Hope Zion so. not only murdered the Pelican season, but murdered uh, both networks because they were showing a ton of <laughs> oh Pelican games early, and it's like oh, the it's Pelicans are down eighteen yeah, again. If Zion comes back, so he was out when that injury was announced, six to eight weeks. If he comes back and puts up monster numbers like he did in preseason. Are we going to have another Embiid versus Brogdon rookie of the year race where Embiid is clearly putting up the better numbers, but Brogdon is the guy who's having a good year, but played way more games and ends up winning the award? Or is this going to be like a, you know, atoning for the era and, and voting Brogdon over Embiid? Not, you know, with Zion potentially still stealing the award, playing like 50 games. Well, Ja, ja isn't knocking out of the park the award yet. No. He's leaving the no. door open for a 60-game Zion season, mm-hmm. but um, and the Memphis hasn't been doing great either. So but I, I think Zion, wide can, open. Zion can still win it, don't, I think. Don't count out my guy, Tyler Hero. Mm, we'll see. He's lingering. Well, he's got competition from his teammate, none. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. none. Mm-hmm. The tw- how old is he, 24? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, the the race for Rookie of the Year is not no, super inspiring, early. but, like, there's a lot of impressive young rookies. Just none that are standing out, like, you hope for, like, from a Zion. Yeah, there's, like, 15, yeah. 16 guys that I like. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned it, Thibel, the yeah. master of the universe. Oh, I, I wish he could score. Whose minutes are dropping I re- for some I re- reason. I really wish he could score, Bill. He can't score. He's, now, you. the problem is you can't play him and Simmons together. I mean, there's a whole lot for of a issues. Variety there's of a whole lot of issues in Philly. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I mean, from Should a, we go? Maybe, maybe we should just jump to uh, most, most concerning yeah, subplot. Well, I, mean, I have Philadelphia for that. All right, um, what do you got? So I, mean, I had I had for most concerning subplot Zion and the Hornets. We've already talked about Houston's health, which is already yep. dangerous. Oh, yeah, that's scary. And especially Harden's going to have to shoot like thirty shots a game. Yeah, and you think of the oh, miles yeah. the last two years too. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing this in there, and the only person I've seen who's noticed it other than myself was Rosillo. Maybe you've noticed it too, but if you tweeted about it, I missed it. John Morant really scares me how fucking crazy oh, he yeah. plays. It's he, Somebody needs to have a talk with him. I, I feel like he's going to get hurt with these drives. It reminds me of young Derrick Rose where Derrick Rose was just so balls to the wall at all times. And Westbrook was like this too. Westbrook never really ended up getting hurt, but... He's had a lot of knee surgeries, though. He has. has. It With just hasn't like, him. Dude, you don't have to dunk over every center that's in your way. Like, pick your spots. Yeah. I just worry that he's going to get hurt. I mean, that fall he had last week or the week before. That was terrifying. Uh, I mean, if you you freeze frame that at the moment he fell, you would think, like, something really, really horrible just happened. Yeah. And thankfully, he's still on the court, but. You know, I mean, that's one of the things that makes him so much fun to watch. But, I, man, I hope he learns to pick his spots. Yeah. So, the other one. Uh, most concerning subplot. What? Tell me uh, why you're worried so, about Philly. So with Philly, I picked them to represent the Eastern Conference in the finals me too. this year, and I have been totally underwhelmed by them so far this season for a number of reasons. Um, for one, most obviously, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons do not look any better. Embiid still does not look like he has gotten in significantly better shape, still looks fatigued out there. Ben Simmons still can't shoot or finish around the rim with his left hand. Uh, and then they don't have a reliable shot creator. Josh Richardson was the guy who could have become that and did receive a little bit of opportunity in preseason to be that. He has not made a leap as a ball handler or as a creator. And then I think there's there's something wrong with Brett Brown's system. 
this team obviously doesn't have a ton of spacing. Horford leads the team in three-point attempts. But far too often, are they not even spacing the floor from outside? You'll see Horford or Harris around the baseline. You'll see Harris passing on open three-point attempts. It's just really weird. And that's, that's negatively impacting their spacing, which is leading to them turning the ball over a lot. And they lead the league right now in turnovers per game. And that is then, of course, affecting their defense. And on the defensive end of the floor, opponents are shooting, I think, 39% from three against them. So there's some bad luck on their side of their defense being about average so far. But part of that is a symptom of the offense turning the ball over so much, leading to more transition. And part of that is just the team not playing at, at their maximum capabilities on the defensive end. So overall, there just seems like there's something fundamentally wrong on both ends. And some of the concerns that people had about this weird fit with all these big guys is already starting to pop up. And yet they're six and three. And yet they're six but and I three. But yeah. I watched a lot but of But they're the, a team with championship aspirations, though, and I'm not sure they are a championship I team agree. right now. I watched that Sun Sixers game, which was a telling game because Embiid didn't play. And that's a team they should beat, let's be mm-hmm. honest. What I noticed, especially like there's about three minutes left and it was a tie game. The crowd was into it. Booker's playing well. Philly didn't have that one guy. When you talked about a creator, just that dude is like, they need it. I, I got this guys. Last year in those spots, it was Jimmy Butler. Whether he's the guy you want, if you're trying to actually win the title, I don't know. But he was the guy who'd be like, I got this. And they would run the offense through him or they would run a play for him or whatever. And it makes me think that one of two things. You mentioned the coaching has been, I thought they should have gotten rid of Brett Brown last year. That's one move they could make. The other one is, I still feel like they always knew they were one trade away with this team. And they have that Harris contract is very trade friendly. So is Josh Richardson. Are we sure sure it's trade friendly? I mean, how many teams want to pay Harris $28 million? Is that what his salary is this year? Oh my God. I didn't realize it was that high. It's $28 million yeah. this year? Harris Harris this season is getting paid $32.7 million. I'm sorry. I underestimated. Oh, my I, God. I, I underestimated. Yeah, he's $32.7. I rescind the word yeah. trade-friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. 32-7, yeah. 34-3, 35-9, 37-6, and 39-2. <laughs> yeah. That I, is not trade-friendly. Well, and that's, that's, that's really like sort of the subplot I have in mind with Philadelphia. If this doesn't work... Then what? You don't have cap flexibility moving forward. It's hard to see tradable pieces on this roster. I'm not sure how many teams would want to trade for Harris. I'm not sure how many teams would want to trade for Al Horford at his age. Do you want to trade a Ben Simmons or a Joel Embiid? Probably not. Is it Richardson that you're flipping? Well, how much value does he have? I don't uh, know what this team Chris does. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chris Paul. You might be on to something. I mean, maybe it is somebody like Chris Paul because I need that perimeter creator. So Chris Paul is 38.5 this year, 41 next year, and 44 <laughs> a year after. <laughs> Ooh. It's not like that much worse than the Harris no, contract. No. How did I not know the Harris contract was that bad? It's crazy. And, and like Harris Man, had, they snuck that one by me. Harris is a, is a solid player, but he's getting paid like a superstar, and he doesn't get used like a star. He gets no. used like the fourth best guy on a team, which he is. Uh, with Philly, man, like I, I, like I said, I picked them to, to represent the East in the finals, and I, I don't feel good about that right now. So Simmons would be the other one you would think about. Yeah, I would definitely think about moving him. But that one can't happen for a while because he just signed the extension. Sure, but the, I mean, as soon as you can, I, as soon as something makes sense. But again, like it's the same 
question though, like how much value would he have? I, how, what's the most you would trade for Ben Simmons? If you were updating your trade value column, like what is the most you would trade for Ben Simmons? I'd be scared. I'm with you. It doesn't, the first game of the season, it was, it, you watch it and you go, oh yeah. Oh, he made a leap. And then it was gone. I mean, all of that, the phony videos this summer of him shooting threes. And now he won't even spot up in the corner. It's, it's really a joke. Chris Paul for Tobias Harris solves a lot of problems. For both teams. Yeah. Chris Paul, CA client. Mm. Joel Embiid, CA client. Interesting. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you, might, you might be onto something here, Bill. Uh, let's go to. I kind of like that idea. The more I'm thinking about it here, I kind of like it. Well, if you're OKC, yeah. you're locked in. Oh, right? you're all in. You're doing that. <laughs> you're giving up some picks. Pro- to prob- get rid of Chris Paul? Probably, yeah. I think maybe you give up one pick or something like that. Got Shea For- Gilgis. Yeah. Um, biggest leap. Speaking of Shea Gilgis. Oh, that's a good one for that. Is it Gilgis or Gilgis? Gilgis. Gilgis, Alexander. Gilgis. Gilgis, Alexander. <laughs> Gilgis. <laughs> just, say, just say Shea or SGA. That you I, solves I all your problems. I can't how many times I've screwed this up when I watch the freaking Thunder game. <laughs> just say Shea. Shea. Shea, you know. What is it again, Kyle? Isn't it Shy? It's, no, Shea. It's, <laughs> no, Shea. I, I, I've heard it's it pronounced Shea, but it's, it's Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah. Well, the, our next category is Biggest Leap. He's in there because I did not expect oh, yeah. his ability to play both guard positions like he has and to play off the it's ball. It was all yeah. stuff that did I did not see coming. For what it's worth, I'm happy. Like I know a lot of people like, get Chris Paul out of there, you know, put the ball in Shea's hands. It's like, well, why not have him develop in a multi-ball handler system? Because he's not going to be your James Harden. Right. He's going to be your guy that is handling the ball amongst other players in an ideal world for OKC. So I think it's a good thing for him to develop. The bummer for them is how bad their wings are. And, oh, yeah. you know, they traded Grant for, for tax relief. I'm not saying he would have solved all the problems, but they probably have the worst set of wings in the league other than Gallo, who's Ga- not Ga- even necessarily a wing. Gallo could get something good for them at some point. Yeah, I mean, he's, think about a, like he's a trade piece. Portland? Well, I'd be all after the Gallo. So biggest leaps. Here's what I have. Tell me if you would add anything. I got Luca and Siakam mm-hmm. becoming MVP candidates, I think is one. Yeah. I'm stunned by Brogdon. I don't know if he can yes. stay healthy, but Brogdon being a number one guy who knows what to do at the end of games, and you, you think like, <laughs> Man, if Philly had signed him, I don't know, they probably couldn't have worked it out with the salary, but they had signed him instead of Tobias Harris, and you just flip those two, they would be in such better shape. But, man, that guy's an assassin in these fourth quarters. He's such a good decision maker. Yeah. It's like he knows when to pick his spots. He knows when to pass. I think that is probably the most underrated loss of the summer. I mean, obviously, a lot of stars change teams and everything, but Milwaukee letting Brogdon go instead of paying him and paying the luxury tax – when we look back at this team, you know, two, three years from now, depending on what Giannis decides to do, that could be the decision that we look at as a turning point. And maybe it won't be. Maybe Milwaukee gets to the finals and wins it all this year. But that decision was such a significant risk for that franchise to let him go, especially with what we're seeing right now. And in regards to Siakam, though. Well, they, one last like, thing. They're yeah. six and four now. They And now there was news today, Old Depot is going to be starting to work out in the G League and stuff. That's right. There was a moment when they were like three and four, two and four, whatever they were. And they didn't seem that happy. It was a weird team. We had no idea when Old Depot was coming back, where it really did seem conceivable that they were just going to have a bad season. They, they were the, but now they've fixed it, it seems like. There were the rumblings about yeah. unha- unhappiness. Trades. And, yeah. Uh, and at this point, it seems like things have turned around. It happened quickly. Uh, and so, you know, good for Indiana at this point. One one thing that maybe has helped is Sabonis and Turner not ha- being forced to play together yeah. right now. So that'll be something to monitor when Turner 
eventually is back. Or, uh, or possibly in the trade block. Siakam, what do yeah. you got? Uh, Siakam, I, I think with him, I am, I'm just, I'm blown away just of how good Toronto still is with him taking this leap. And so much of it, I think there's a credit to Nick Nurse here for empowering him as a player and obviously to Siakam for the improvements he's made. But so far this season, over half of his possessions have been finished using the pick and roll isolations or post-ups wow. last season. It was about a third of his possessions. And one stat that I think really illustrates the difference this year is last season. He held the ball for about 2.5 minutes per game, which was comparable to guys like Joe Ingles and Marcus smart secondary, or, you know, sometimes the third ball handler on your team. But this season he's possessing the ball for 4.2 minutes per game, equivalent to Jimmy Butler. CJ McCollum. What are these fancy stats you have, from, KSC? From NBA.com. Ball holding? Is tra- ball holding well, a stat yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, possessing the ball. Possessing the possessing ball. The That's now a stat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good P- stat. Possession time. Yeah. And I, I'm just fascinated by how like he's increased his touches and possession time and responsibility as a creator, as a playmaker, as a scorer. And he's doing just as well as last season with this new role. And he's probably only going to continue to get better as he keeps growing. Like he always has. It's amazing. So Kyrie's possession time is like 22 minutes a game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll pull it it's open. 20, and check 20 it out. seconds per play. Yeah, it's, 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 it's probably obscene. Uh, the other biggest leap I have assist leader, LeBron James. Mm. Have you noticed he's yeah, two assists yeah, above everybody? Yeah, he's got 11 uh, assists a game. Me, me and Chris Vernon did a, a, preseason, you know, uh, predictions thing, you know, where we're we're making these silly predictions. And and I, and I originally was going to say LeBron's going to lead the NBA in assists for the first time. And I was like, that's not, that doesn't feel hot enough. I'm going to go Ja Morant, you know, and and I was wrong. You know, Ja won't be, he's averaging at five. LeBron though, he very well could. He very well could this year with the amount of playmaking that he's put put on his shoulders this season. Uh, Well, it's, I actually think that would have been a hot take if you had predicted that. Interesting. 11's a lot. I mean, he, I mean, look, preseason numbers you can't read into too much. But I do think there's some value in looking at per 36 in preseason to get an idea of what a guy might do during the regular season. And LeBron did put up pretty unbelievable preseason assist numbers. You know who's second? Who's that? Our guy. We were voices crying in the wilderness. Luka Doncic. Oh, of course. Luca Fortisworth leads the NBA in possession time, 9.4 minutes. Kyrie down at 6.7 minutes per game. 6.7. 6.7. That seems low. Yeah. Luca's one uh, rebound away from averaging a 30-10-10 right now. <laughs> Just want to point that out. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Come back with more. Hey, for this holiday season, immerse yourself in all your favorite holiday classics with a new home theater system from Sonos. Turn it on in the Sonos app. Never miss a moment of the story. Plus. Play carols and more when the TV is off. If you're hosting family and friends, question mark. Sonos works with all your streaming services and control is simple with the app. Apple AirPlay 2 and your voice using Amazon Alexa or the Google Assistant. You can also wirelessly connect all your speakers to create your perfect sound system. I just hooked up another Sonos in my house recently. The Move one. Put it up right next to my TV because I wanted to listen to music while I was watching basketball. And I, and I wanted to also play the basketball in the other Sonos system I had. So I, I double Sonos it. Yeah. You can do those things really easy to hook. You pull it out of the box, 
hook it up to your Wi-Fi system. I, I can't believe it took me less than 10 minutes. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and complete your holiday shopping. Back to KFC. Okay, so putting a bow on that uh, topic we just talked about. Biggest leap. I I agree with you. I think it's Siakam because especially after the playoffs last year when he really seemed scared in some of those <laughs> games. Uh, the the transformation, it's almost like Kawhi gave him his secret sauce when he left. <laughs> Here, take this. I was drinking it during the playoffs. It's awesome to see. Coaching job, Brad Stevens, Nick Nurse. Who else would you have? Monty Williams, Phoenix. I think the way Phoenix is playing, and this is partially a front office and coaching thing there, but better ball movement there, better spacing, uh, more discipline on defense. They're basically just collapsing into the paint, preventing penetration and forcing teams to shoot threes yeah. uh, or, or rendered jumpers. And part, again, it's the opposite of what we talked about earlier in regards to Philly, which has had some bad luck. Phoenix has had some good luck with teams not shooting threes well against them. But with Phoenix this year, so much comes down to my guy, Devin Booker. Your guy. Devin Booker has been awesome. You, you never, get, you get admit, you never gave up on him. You, you told me he could be the number one guy in a good mm-hmm. team. He looks awesome. And he I, looks great. I, I have one stat that I think illustrates the change in Booker. Oh, that, he, uh, that he has a winning record for the first time in four sure, years? Yes, okay. yes, that's true. And he might have a chance at the playoffs. We'll yeah. see. Maybe slip in as a seven or an eight seed. Possible. But another, you know, a, a touch, you know, passing stat from NBA.com. Uh, Booker last season made uh, 45 passes per game, and he received 67 passes per game. This year... That's down to 29 passes made per game, and he's making 45 passes per game. And I, I I bring that up because he's putting up near equal raw numbers, 25 points, you know, shooting the hell out of the ball. But he's doing that without touching the ball as often, passing the ball as often, and receiving the ball as often. And last year and in past years, the number one critique of him was he's a good good stats, bad team player. He's a ball hog. He won't give it up. He can't play with other players. Well, here we are. Monty Williams has installed a system and the Suns added Ricky Rubio with a system that emphasizes multiple ball handlers sharing the ball. And he's having easily the most efficient, best season overall of his career. And he's flourishing. And I think there's still room for even further improvement for this overall team moving forward. So I think with Booker, you know, we're here now and it's working. He got better again. And all that criticism has been totally hushed. I I don't have a counter. He's looked really good. What's weird about the Phoenix thing is I don't think their bench is good at all. And it hasn't really mattered for these first nine games because they're five that they trust the most. Those five guys play really well together. And I don't think it's sustainable because Baines is somebody who has never played more than 17, 18 minutes a game ever mm-hmm. at any point in his career. And then right now they're playing him 35. I also think it's going to be really weird when Aiton comes back. It could but, be. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and Rubio's injury history obviously isn't great, but I think what we've, the, the big lesson for me is just that Booker is a two guard who needs to play with a good point guard who can just do all the stuff and just let Booker concentrate on being Booker. And that was the one that whatever, whatever the arc of him as a player is, I think that was the one thing we learned. Cause I always wondered like, who cares? Just have him handle everything, be the creator. But I I, I don't know if that's the right move for him. I think it touches on the same topic with 
Gilgis Alexander. I, I, you know, different players, drastically yeah. different players. But with Booker, I still think he can do a lot on the ball for you. I mean, in a potential playoff situation someday for Phoenix down the line, Booker's still going to be that guy at the end of the clock in the fourth quarter that you're giving the ball to. Yes. He can still be that guy. It's just you don't want him doing that all the time. You know, and now they have, you know, at least some competent players around him, whether it's Rubio, whether it's Baines, or even someone like Ubre having a pretty good season for Phoenix. Right. Especially on the defensive end, just hustling his ass off out there. You don't want but, Booker worrying about other players, getting them involved. Yeah. And, All that stuff. And that's, that's that's my point. And for sure. Everything. And plus that's helped him on defense as well. He's actually trying on that end of the floor yeah. now. It's for the first time ever since he was in college. He's trying on the defensive end. Like, bravo. It's fun to watch. Well, He's I been think, pretty solid. I think it was fair to call him a good stats, bad teams guy because he put up good stats yeah. on bad teams. I mean, and now he from has, a literal now he's sense, gotten rid of that. Sure, but that label has never been literal. It's about like, this is a player who will never be contribute to winning. Well, that, he, That's what it's always been mean. Good stats, bad team player. Prove to me you can contribute to winning. Well, <laughs> right, now he is. <laughs> right now he is. Well, he handed the good team's bad stats championship belt to Zach Levine about a week ago. <laughs> he's like, Zach, take care of this for me. Yeah, Zach's yeah, like, yep. that's great. Thanks, yep. man. We're yep. going to win 28 games this year, but I'm going to get 25 well, a game. One, one other coach to honorable mention to, John Beeline, the Cavaliers. Yeah, that team yeah. is very yeah. well prepared. Well, I noticed I, that I'm, last I'm week. I love watching them play. It's fun. Yeah. I can't imagine I would have enjoyed watching Cleveland. He rejuvenated Tristan Thompson. <laughs> They're running Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, pick and rolls, Bill. Love's handling the ball on the perimeter. And what's funny is Garland's been really not good at all. He's struggled. Um, But Sexton has been really good. Sexton's made a jump. You see the clip of uh, Beeline really empowering Sexton to shoot the ball. I mean, I thought it was pretty cool because Sexton last year was a guy who was handling the ball a lot. Wasn't he sucking on defense, was not playmaking very well. But now he's getting pushed into that off ball role and becoming more of the guy that he was at Alabama, just busting his ass on defense. So that's been fun to watch. I'm glad you brought that coach up because that team is very well prepared every night. I was really impressed by them. I watched the whole game when they played the Celtics. And the Celtics had way more talent. And that was a really hard-fought game. Yeah. Uh, Tristan Thompson, I think, is the most intriguing buyout guy. Is he too February. good to buy out? He might be. Yeah. He might have actually played himself into a, no, 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 you're going to have yeah. to trade. He does make $18 million, which is tough. But that's somebody when the Celtics, who I think it's fair to say, I think are a contender, that's a buyout guy that would swing it for them. Yeah, I'm curious. So... I agree for first of all about what you said about Boston. I still think they're one piece away, but there's probably a lot of people listening who are like, no, they're not a contender. They're not, they're, they they're are not a even contender. Close, but like, what makes them a contender? You mentioned Tatum and Brown. I'm just curious, like, what increases your confidence in them to actually be at that level this year? Well, the tragedy was Hayward getting hurt because I actually thought he was the best player in the team before he got hurt. Um, Here's what it is in a nutshell. And this is what I tweeted right before the tweet broke Haywood's hand. Which that I was like, how for. many minutes before? Four was minutes. It, oh it was four minutes later. It's unreal. They got rid of, it's not just Kyrie. Mm-hmm. It's also the fact that Marcus Morris and Rogier are no longer on the team too. They got rid of all the ball stoppers. And the ball moves mm-hmm. now. And the mindset of everybody is so different. It's attack, 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 slash and kick, attack, attack, go to the rim, attack. And that's just how they play. I think they're really hard to defend. And Kemba is, he said, I think he's made, they played nine games. I think he's made 37 threes already. He's like 4.2 a game, 38 so threes, good. something like that. Yeah. Um, 
he brings a lot of the stuff to the table that Kyrie brought. He doesn't bring the end of the game brilliance that Kyrie had, but that that end of the game brilliance also leads to just four other guys just standing around watching you over and over again. You become pretty predictable. This team is not predictable. They every every half every quarter, it's just weird shit going on, and I think I think they're really hard to defend. And they they can take on different styles too. Yeah. Like you can put in Rob Williams, Time Lord, as a rim running big who blocks shots for you, who rumbles down the lane, cuts, throws down these just crazy dunks, or it looks like he's floating midair. But then you can put in Ennis Cantor, a, yeah. a more traditional interior center who's gonna you know bruise you in certain matchups. His defense won't be as much of a limitation. Then you have. Tice, who I think if you're going to upgrade, try to upgrade over somebody, That's it's probably spot. Tice. Yeah. Um, but even then, you can go small with Grant Williams at the five, like they have sometimes, who has been okay. I think Grant has just not, Grant Williams has not shot the ball well for them so far, but moving forward, that should be something that progresses for them. Uh, I still think they need one more guy. I'm just not sure what that piece is, and it's hard to for them to put together the salaries to get that guy, but... If they can add one more guy, they're right in that same level, in my opinion, in the East with Milwaukee and Philly if they play up to what they can. I think the East right now has five teams that I like and potentially a sixth if Old Depot comes back. But if you compare it to the West, I think the Clippers have the highest ceiling. If Davis and LeBron are going to be there for four playoff rounds, they have to be taken mm-hmm. seriously, obviously. But if you just compare the top five in each conference, the East is right there. So you're not as high on Denver or Utah? I don't like what I've seen from Denver this year. I think it's fixable, and I think I think it can mature, but there's a little bit of a malaise with them that I haven't been crazy about. I, I love Jokic, but I don't like the fact he came in overweight. I mean, he definitely, yeah. he definitely gained 5 to 10 pounds. It's just a fact. And Maybe uh, Draymond know. Green's like, yeah, man, don't work out before the season. <laughs> this is what I do. I won three rings. <laughs> I, I mean, I... I I think Lakers, but if you put some of those teams, Denver and Utah in the East, they probably look comparable to Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, these teams that you're mentioning. That's I mean, what I mean, it, though. Yeah. Oh, it's, okay, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm in yeah. the top five yeah. for each side. I thought going into the season, the West was had probably seven of the best nine teams. I don't feel that way anymore. Because Boston's better than you expected. Boston's you, better. I think Miami. Miami's better, too. And Miami yeah. has a trade to make, which... I'm on pins and needles waiting for it because they they there's all these different ways they can add one more guy. They have a lot of tradable salaries. Yeah. It's like inverse of Boston. Boston doesn't have many guys in that eight to nineteen million dollar range. Almost all of Miami's team is. Yeah. <laughs> they can make a lot of moves. Coaching job, I'd go Monty Williams so far, but okay. I think all the coaches have mentioned were good. Most hopeless team, there's only one candidate. The Knicks. Knicks, right? Yeah. Everyone else, there's even the Warriors who are headed for the year from hell. They can still. There's nine different ways to spin <laughs> they it. Right? Still roster Stephen Curry and yeah. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, and they're Boom. already doing the thing like, "Hey man, we needed a rest. We've been grinding out for five straight years, nine nine months a year. Mm-hmm. This was unsustainable. This is there's silver linings here. A good thing in the long run. Yeah, that's what it could be. We weren't going to win the title and by, anyway. And by the way, it really could be. Yeah. Could be. I mean, it's just a fact. Michael Jordan took a year and a year and a half off to play baseball. It's not a bad thing for Stephen Curry to get a couple months off. Clay to go get a potentially a whole year off. It's not bad. Wizards, the rookie they drafted, not a bust. They kept Beal. Mm-hmm. The team's weirdly fun to watch for a terrible team. They have. I'm psyched that Isaiah Thomas is back. I don't know how long it's going to last, but they're not the shit show I thought they're going to be. And Charlotte's not either. The Knicks are the shit show. 
The Knicks have a roster that made no sense when they put it together. Like literally none. <laughs> Zero. I still don't understand it. And there are in, th- in 10 games, people are getting thrown under the bus already. And all I would care about if I was them was RJ Barrett, Frankie Smokes, and Kevin Knox, and maybe Mitchell Robinson. I wouldn't care about anyone else on this team. What are you guys trying to do? Make the playoffs? You're not going to. I, I don't understand. I mentioned this to Verno on, on today's Ringer NBA, Ringer NBA show. I don't understand the 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 idea that this team actually had playoff hopes. I don't buy. They really the, did. I, I don't buy that they really did, though. There's, I think no, there's they did. no way you could look at this team and think Why would you sign they, Taj Gibson? Uh, because it's a two... It's a, why would you sign Marcus be, Morris? Because they're short-term deals. That's why. You're literally just building for How about just keep the cap space? You're... you're but you get ahead somebody. You have to have bodies in your roster. Can't they could add a Russell Westbrook probably for free. <laughs> One thing I want to say about the Knicks, though, is when you say most hopeless, do you mean in the whole grand scheme of like the next 10 years hopeless? I'm saying right now, Okay. if you talk to the fans from the 30 mm-hmm. teams, who would be the most bummed out? I mean, it's always Knicks fans. It's the Knicks. Point. They have James Dolan as their owner. And, oh, my God. You know, there's already dysfunction. You didn't even mention that Fizdale could be fired. Like, there's already dysfunction. He's going to be yeah. fired. He'll be the fall okay. guy. Meanwhile, these dumbasses were the ones that signed everybody. One thing, though, are we sure it's not the Kings? Are we sure it's not the Kings? And the reason why I say that, though, is mm. because as Bad as it is in New York, as dysfunctional as it is, it's still New York City. Yeah. And it's still a team that's going to have a lot of money to spend in 2021 or 2022. It's New York and it's a big market. I feel like as dysfunctional as it is, as hopeless as it might be, it's not Sacramento, which has some iffy salaries, long-term salaries on there, which has, you know, probably slightly better young talent, but they're going to lose one of those guys in Bogdanovich next summer in all likelihood. They have less flexibility moving forward. They have less draft picks. I think Sacramento, I hate, really, really hate to say it, but if you're picking one Western Conference team, it's probably them. I like Fox and Buddy and Bagley, though. I like all three of those assets better than any asset the Knicks have except for uh, RJ. I think that's fair. But if you're doing it, top top it, assets it, on those two teams, uh, RJ's the only one who cracks the top four. But how much how much of an asset is being New York City and having a bunch of money? Even if you're not getting we just like, saw it for twenty I, I know, years, I know, all but they he, did was but, lose. But even if at that point you're not getting that number one guy in free agency and you're getting like the fourth or fifth best guy. I don't guy. think anyone wants to play there. Anyone. We just anyone watched them all. get shut out with so, so two like, max capsules. So like Rudy Gobert in twenty twenty one. Like why wouldn't he want to play like theory, I'm just saying a Rudy Gobert type of player. He would he would sign in Sacramento over New York. KFC, are you like on the Knicks payroll? What's <laughs> no. going on here? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm making. Nobody uh, wants to play there. Not one player. We'll see. People want to go there when they <laughs> so, have nowhere else to go. So, <laughs> that's what I mean. Not every team has a max slot. Yeah. It, so, but when I that's my point. It's I like think K- by default, Kyle is KFC trying to be the next Knicks GM. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if James trying, Dolan is listening, trying to do John Hollinger on us. <laughs> if James Dolan's listening, no, unbelievable, I'm, you're lobbying <laughs> for the Knicks job. No, no, no I, I just think if the at cap space is an asset, and also like I I like Heald a lot. I'm not nearly as high on Bagley as you are. Um, I'm not high, as high on Fox as a lot of people are either. I like those guys. Wow, Fox is Fox is really good, but he also is a very inefficient half court scorer. Bagley is not a good defensive player. He is a inefficient half court scorer who 
I'm not super high on as a decision maker or moving forward. Buddy Heal is a guy I love. Why couldn't all of this stuff have manifested itself last year when the Celtics had their unprotected pick? And well, the Celtics could run into the same issue with Memphis this year. If Memphis is bad, top six protected this year, then next year Memphis then they all could end up being good. good. They, have, they have some Damn cap it. space. They could add a guy. Young God players forbid. get better. God forbid this ever worked out. Yeah. Oh, it did that ne- time ne- when we got Jason Tatum. Never, never works for Boston sports teams. Never uh, works out. All right, last one. <laughs> Most pleasant surprise. We Ooh. mentioned Monty Williams. I got to say, I made some jokes about Anthony Simons before the oh, year. Oh, yeah. What a delight. He's fun. Could not he? believe how good he was He's in the great. Clips Blazers game. He was like borderline unstoppable. <laughs> they had to put Beverly on him. Yeah. And uh, and he's been able to sustain it the next couple of games. And they have this weird situation now where they put those three guys out together and it's, and it's kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. But then they have Mario Hazonia out there. Oh, my God. And I don't know what they do, but Simons is playing almost too well where you can't trade him. I wouldn't. He's untouchable, I wouldn't, right? Yeah. I wouldn't trade him. Like I, what I, if what if Orlando said we'll give you we'll give you Aaron Gordon right now for Baysmore and Simons? I don't. Think, I think Portland I, says no. I think you say no. I think Simons at hit with his as young as he is and the the upside that he's shown. He's he's the guy. Four years from now, when you need to pay him, you're like, okay, we'll just trade CJ McCollum at this point. You know what I mean? So it's like he's your future proof guard that you keep at some point to make another move and. I, I think if you're going to make a move, it's Whiteside or Baysmore. Oh, yeah, Whiteside. A lot of takers. With, oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's an expiring deal. At least. Yeah. With picks for like a Kevin Love or a Gallinari, somebody like that who you can plug in at the four. See, I think it's Gallinari. Gallo's a no-brainer. Baysmore, I'll, I'll throw in a first. I'll throw in some money. What mm-hmm. else do you need? Yeah. But, but not Simons. If you flip Hazonia for Gallinari, that, this team is good right away. And the Simons thing is a real thing. I, I would be doing my annual, here's how they should trade CJ McCollum part of this pod, but I'm not going to do that because he's not eligible to be traded until like January 20th. But So you can't, you get away. Can't even do it. But um, but I w- I'm not sure I would do it anyway because it's such a fascinating team now with these three guys. I'll say this about Simons. You watch Fultz more than I did in college. Watching Simons is what I thought Fultz was going to be when he was coming into the league. Interesting. This guy, he just has a flow to his game. He's got these little like little stop and pop bank shot and pull up threes. <laughs> and there's there's just something going yeah. with him that's different. And he's only 20. He just turned 20 yeah. in June. So and, they and, weren't full and, of shit. I thought they were full yeah. of shit when they were doing this. Oh, you know who's untouchable? Simon's. Yeah. It's like, okay, dudes. I mean, like, be I, I heard the noise this summer too. Like Simon's is going to make a leap. And you're like, yeah, you know, we'll see. But then you see in summer league, he looked really good. And then in preseason, he looks really good. And now it's now it's regular season and he looks really good. I'm buying. I'm totally buying. Are you buying, buying him as a six man of the year candidate? No, nah, I mean, Lou Williams is still going to put up huge numbers. Okay. Lou Williams is kind of, you know, the incumbent, you know, who's going to get the votes again. I mean, Lou Williams shouldn't count as six man. Why? Because he plays as much as a starter. He's out there in every fourth quarter. Yeah, become, I think that's a bending the, but, of the rules. So we should change the rule then. It's, 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 a, a, rule it's, a, it's a minutes thing, not. It's a rule bend. The they get through the first four, five minutes of the quarter <laughs> and look shitty until they bring Lou Williams and Harold. Just start these guys. They're two of your best players. What are you doing? I don't know. For, for, for what it's worth, 
I got Andrew Wiggins as the most pleasant surprise. Oh, I knew you were going to do it. I mean, it, we're talking 10 games. This might not be true in another week. You're going to write the Wiggins redemption piece <laughs> in like two weeks. Uh, here's it's the been a thing. slow buzz I, building. I pitched a story to Chris Ryan before the season. Can Ryan Saunders save Andrew Wiggins' career? I mean, he's only like, what, 24? Yeah. And, and the, the point of the, the pitch was, you know, Saunders had said before, the, before training camp that Wiggins is going to have a breakout season. He's, you know, with the new system they were installing, you know, analytics friendly, layups, threes, getting to the free throw line. I was like, can Wiggins maybe excel in this? I don't know. It was like kind of asking the question. And through 10 games, including preseason, preseason was bad. Regular season is good. I'm not sold. But it's a pleasant surprise that Wiggins has looked good pretty one. good. He is it's very taking, fair. He's taking smarter shots. He's not taking early mid-range jumpers as often. And with the driving lanes that the five this out. This is enough about Andrew Wiggins. Well, You've used the, up your well, minute. The five out offense, his playmaking has no, improved. This, Bill, is, this is too he's long. He's passing You're jinxing the ball. Him now. You're jinxing uh, him Maybe now. I am. Last category, yeah. league pass team MVP. Oh, I mean, I had Luca for this. Dallas? Yeah. I mean, Luca, you know, as a player to watch. Luca or Trey Young, one of those two guys. I think the Celtics have been really fun from a league pass standpoint because their games are just, they're just entertaining. Everybody scores. There's a real pace to them. And I have the, I think the Clippers have been really fun. They've had some, they actually have a home crowd now that is into the game. Like that Clippers Raptors game last night, the crowd was good Mm -hmm. and I thought affected the game. Uh, And I have Luca as well. And, the Simons thing, I can't. Every time Portland's in now, I'm kind of like sneaking over to see if he's playing. <laughs> you have like an alert for Simons entry the game. To have him and McCollum and Lillard, if Simons can keep making a jump, to have these three guards that could all score, nobody really has anything like that. It's it's a it's a shame that the, they suck so much at the the four position right now. You know, it's like losing a Minu and Harkless. I thought was you know. Notable, I, like but I thought it was notable yeah. this summer, uh, but I, I underrated the actual significance of that loss. I mean, when you're playing Hazonia as much as you are, it's it's a problem. I still have faith that Kent Bazemore can emerge. I do not have faith in Whiteside. I do not it, have faith in, in Hazonia at all. You mentioned Luca, um, and you had him as an MVP candidate, and I've said he's already a top ten guy. Are you there yet with him being a top ten player in the league today, or or, or like is he just an MVP candidate? I have right. him in top seven now. Top seven? Yeah. Top seven. I think he is a super duper star. Top seven today. So like I think who, he who, is. Who, in- who falls off that top seven then? Because like, you know, I have on my list the guys who I would have ahead of him for sure. LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis, Steph, Harden, AD. So that's six. But then the next group is like Lillard, George, Luka, Jokic, Embiid. I have Luka higher than Butler, Lillard. Uh, see, the Kyrie. part of the fans are getting mad. I just think he's... He's a complete offensive player already. I can't believe how easily he goes by people. Mm-hmm. His passing is ridiculous, and it seems like he he's, can score whenever he he's wants. Probably the best passer in the league. And he fucking already. rebounds. Yep. I think I think he takes Curry's spot. Now, if you want to put Lillard in there as the seventh guy, but I think he takes Curry's spot and Durant's spot because Durant's the other one that yep. you didn't mention. But those two guys. So the top seven now is really probably a top eight or a top nine. Mm. And then you didn't mention Embiid. Oh no, Embiid would be in that next group. So I, for yeah. what it's worth, my order. This is you know just thrown together in two seconds. LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis, Steph, Harden, AD, Lillard, George, Luca. I have ninth. Then I have Jokic, Embiid, Kyrie, Butler. That's like the top twelve, thirteen. Hmm. I I'd, I'd have to put more time into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I'm just starting backwards. Luca has to be in that first six or seven for me because hmm. I think he's a one man offense. I, I I tweeted that over the weekend, and like the, the the counterpoint was like he needs to do it over a longer period of time. And I Fuck I understand. Watch the games. I, yeah, I know. That's what I mean. I yeah, that's, I understand that's just a that. Bad opinion. No, I mean I think we already we've seen years of this. We've seen the progression each year from before the NBA to his rookie year to what he is now. This is a very natural I count linear his league as his rookie year. Last year was year two, and this is year three. <laughs> it makes sense to me. He looks pretty awesome. Listen, it's hop real. on the Luca bandwagon now. He's fucking unbelievable. It's real. Kevin O'Connor, yeah. listen to you on Ringer NBA show. Read you on theringer.com. Thanks for coming on as always. Thanks for having me, Bill. Okay, we're getting to Matt Damon in a second. First, let's talk about Square. They make that little white reader that lets people take credit cards, including... um. I think the last three years of haircuts I've gotten, I used Square and got out of there within like a minute. Kyle, are you using your Square yet? I gave it to my barber. It's changed changed everything. What do you mean? I gave it to my barber. I was tired of paying him over the other ways. My barber's got it. He's fully functioning now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Look at that. What's your barber's name? Fernando. Fernando, congratulations. Square is so much more than just a card reader. They have a lot more tools to help businesses too. Point of sale for restaurants, retail stores, salons, and frankly, any other kind of business that needs a point of sale. You can set up a free online store. You can run payroll and offer employees benefits. You can send invoices right from your phone. No long-term contracts. Always get your money fast. See how Square can take your business from Square One to whatever's next at square.com slash go slash BS. And since we're here, let me tell you about Luminary really quickly. It is a podcast subscription service with some of the best content around, including our amazing new podcast, Sonic Boom, how Seattle lost its team, hosted by our very own Jordan Ritter Khan. If you're a fan of sports, great investigative journalism, or both, it's a podcast you won't want to miss. If you, if it ever ever bothered you that the Sonics got ripped out of Seattle and brought to Oklahoma City, well, now you get to find out all the facts and the reasons why it actually happened. We also have two more podcasts on there: Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999, and the rewatchable spinoff, The Rewatchables 1999. The Luminary app, free to download, gives you access to way more than just their own content. You can use it to listen to thousands of other shows, including this one. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash Simmons. After that, it's only $7.99 per month. Luminary.link slash Simmons. Cancel anytime. Terms do apply. Here he is. The one, the only, Matt Damon. All right, Matt Damon is here. Um... The last podcast we did, which was a year ago, was, was it that long already? One of the most popular podcasts I've had in the last like five years. And oh, good. I feel like this is as a sequel. I don't want this to be like Fletch Two. <laughs> I didn't even know they made Fletch Two. <laughs> Some of the other bad sequels. I'm hoping. Don't say like, any of mine. I don't yeah. think it'll be Godfather Two. Well, you don't do sequels. I guess you just I, did, I did Born. A, Born in Oceans. Oh, what was the what was the most maligned Ocean sequel? The second. But now it's. I thought it's come around now. People I think it's. I think it has. It was. It was Soderbergh's favorite of them. Yeah. So, but know. people were mad when it came out because it was too meta. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I haven't seen it, and I mean, I would have to go back and watch it. But right, it was that thing of Julia Roberts playing herself, and right, right, and or, or and Bruce Willis or think, thinking Julia thinking. Yeah. Her character was Julia Roberts mistaking her. Yeah. People just. I think. What year was that? We shot it in 04. I yeah, because that was right. So the last 15 years, and then when Twitter became involved, really people just getting pissed off. 
for about movies and well, people were probably always forms. that pissed off. Yeah, they, they just, just didn't had a place. Have, right, just had a place to voice it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea how mad people. Were. <laughs> <laughs> what was the maddest people have been in a Matt Damon movie? Uh, probably Ocean's I, Twelve, right? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't. Bagger Vance. I mean, I, I certainly have my own feelings. About it. <laughs> it's hard. It's all you know. It's that thing. It's you. It's so hard to make a good movie, and uh, and uh, and you don't work any less hard. Nor do the hundreds of people who work on the movies. You don't work any less hard on the movies that aren't good. Yeah. Right. It's it really is the same workload. It's not like the great ones require more. It's just that they came together, you know, in 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 a way that the others didn't. But um, downsizing was one that people weren't sure about. And now it seems like that's coming around a little. Oh, I wouldn't know. You, you'd know better than I would. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, it's Alexander Payne is a, is one of the great filmmakers on the planet. And look, he, he totally delivered for me. What he said to me was he was going to make a Hal Ashby movie with special effects. Yeah. Uh, and that's what that movie is. And I, I don't know if we, if we, if it just wasn't what people were expecting, which means maybe we were a little too tricky in the marketing by, by, I think people might have been expecting like me and Wig to just be downsized and to be like zoinks, they're small, you know, and like and maybe we Yeah. And and yeah. and 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 if you set people's expectations up for something, then then you don't deliver that, you're gonna be they're they're gonna be disappointed. And that really is and that's fair. You you should you should show them the movie that you made. You know what I mean? You should you should sell them the movie as 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 it is, you know, you, you should you shouldn't try to do a bait and switch, which I don't think we were doing. I think I think the idea was we want to save the reveal that she doesn't downsize. She chickens out. And yeah. it was like this great reveal when you read the script. And it was really funny. And suddenly this guy is a bachelor living in leisure land in a condo. And, it's like, <laughs> and he's five inches tall, right? And he's got to put his life back together. And so, but I don't think anybody saw it because it's just such a dramatic left turn. And he falls in love with a one-legged Vietnamese political dissident. And, you know, he, there's that great line that I have in the, you know, I can, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but like, who would have thought like 10 years ago that I'd be, dry, you know, going down the, you know, in a Norwegian fjord, going to meet the great, you know, and I named yeah. the scientist with it. And it's just the most ridiculous thing that, you know, and, and he's five inches, I'm five inches tall. I'm going, you know, it's this, and that's what I loved about it. It was unlike any other movie that I'd ever seen. And that's, that's what I think movies should be. Um, you know, uh, they should push us you know, a little bit and, and entertain, but they have to entertain us too. And, and, uh, in that case, I don't know. I mean, I had lunch with Alexander afterwards and, um, kind of an after action taco down at tacos, por favor, <laughs> give them a little plug, just sitting there at tacos, por favor going like, what happened, man? Like, boy, that didn't work. Like, what was it? But, but the thing about great directors, legitimately great directors is every shot in that movie is so meticulously designed. Like it's going to age well, you know, it really is the best expression of that idea. It just seems that people weren't interested in that story. We just did a rewatchables podcast on The Shining, which is basically almost 40 years old, summer 1980. Yeah. I didn't even know that that movie, like, basically bombed. And people were mad when it came out, and they didn't understand it and get it. And it took, like, eight years well, for Stephen, people to even, Stephen King apparently still, uh, I he heard was, he didn't like it. He but, was furious. Right, right. He thought, he felt, like, totally betrayed by it. But well, it was, I haven't read, I never read the book, so I can't, I yeah. can't speak to what he might have been upset about. But it always just surprised me because it's such an iconic movie. And it really, um, and Kubrick, I mean, I, I, have a, I have a few different Shining stories 
that I love. I don't know if we, how much time we have, but we have uh, a lot of time. What do you but mean? One you thing, sh- how do you have shining stories? You were well, in the shining. Well, no, but uh, but I I worked with um, the production designer who uh, the last film he did was a talented Mr. Ripley, and and he was Kubrick's guy, and he yeah. told me this great story about 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 when he was designing that uh, movie. Stanley Kubrick had a a, a scale model of the Overlook it's the Overlook Hotel yeah. yeah the the Overlook Hotel in their production office and they would stand around and this is like 1978 or 9 and he would set these lights on you know to to shoot this little hotel he would set miniature lights and he would get them he would take hours doing this while his production heads were st- were standing around and then he'd take a photograph and then he'd hand it to an assistant who would go and run off. And this is before one hour photo. He'd go yeah. and r- run off and develop it and come back with an eight by 10. And Kubrick would look at it for about five minutes. And then he'd put it down and he'd go back and he'd start setting the lights. And uh, this is Roy Walker telling me this story. And yeah. The legendary guy. And, and, and this process would go on for days. But what Roy said was, what was incredible was when you were on the set, Kubrick could come up with some algorithm by which he could kind of transpose the numbers of the light. So he would get the, he would set it just how he wanted. And then he would record what each light was at. He knew his sources were coming from exactly the same place in the big world when he did it. And he came up with this algorithm by which he could just go and he had all the things set and he would just set the lights up. And Roy said, you could hold the, eight by 10, stand in the hallway, hold the eight by 10 in front of your face and pull it away. And you would see the exact same thing that he'd shot on the miniature model, um, which is just like the level of in, it just artistry slash insanity and obsession is just so well, beautiful. I mean, that's why me, people are convinced that all of these different things are in that movie because their whole point is like, this guy was a genius and a lunatic yeah. and every single thing was in there for a reason. Yeah. So there's like people think it's about, you know, the Native American genocide and they're like yeah, all these yeah, different clues. Yeah. And one of them is this it's I think it's coffee or something, but it's calumet and it's it's like an Indian chief on the on the can and he turns it in ways so that it kind of mirrors what's happening with the characters and people but there's actual video of him moving the cans yeah. in this little ring. No, there's nothing refrigerator. That, like so to bring downsizing back into it, watching how meticulous Alexander is about everything in his frame. There's no, there's no any of these directors, there's nothing arbitrary yeah. that's in a frame of a movie. There's nothing that hasn't been thought about. There there have been meetings and conversations about every color, every every single thing in that entire palette that's being presented to you has been discussed for hundreds of hours. So do you think they see that in their head, almost like a little kid, like with a short story in their head and they just have to hit the beats that's in their head? I wonder what the I think people. Is. I think people do it, they all do it really differently. You know, yeah. I think some people work thematically and they go, well, here we want this kind of light and this because this is the characters in this place. And they're kind of kind of going through the character and the prism of what's happening for the character and 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 everything's extending out of that. And and other people probably like Kubrick. I don't know what was happening in his brain. Well, it's probably Nobody the does. weird photo stuff, and like every he probably had every frame. I, I know out. that I've I've heard like uh, like David Fincher, um, who's Soderbergh's best one. friend. Like fin- so, I've done eight movies with Soderbergh, but I have never worked with Fincher. But Ben worked with Fincher. Affleck did, and I uh, oh for Gonger. Yes, and so I went down and visited the set one day, and 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 what what 
I've heard from both Stephen and from Ben having worked with him is it's 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 Fincher is like has that Kubrick thing like he can't unsee what he sees. Yeah. Right. And so I sat behind him one day while he was directing and it was this scene where Ben and Rosamund Pike walk into this bookstore. And so the camera was down the aisle of books. So it sees them down the aisle, open the door, come in. And then as they walk down, the camera dollies with them at the far end of the bookstore and walks down. And then they eventually enter an aisle. The camera stops. They enter up the aisle towards the camera and they end up kissing each other in in this section of the the bookstore. So it's like probably a 90 second shot while they're talking. And, and, and when the camera rolled, like Fincher's got this big monitor in front of him with, with you know, it's everything is time. Everything is exactly as it's going to appear in the movie. And he's, and he's set all these levels himself and he's sitting there and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm behind him and I've got headphones on so I can hear the scene. And, and he calls action. They call background, which is for the, the extras, the people in the bookstore. And then they yeah. call action. So when he calls background and then action, a, a, a background actor walks across the frame. All right. Then Ben and Rosamond enter the bookstore and the scene's about to start. But Fincher is already monologuing. He's going, who the fuck walks like that? And, it, and it's the background artist that he's, that has, it just, it just instantly caught his eye. He goes, I mean, what the fuck was that? What the fuck? Who the fuck walks like that? Nobody walks like that. Been, now Ben and Rosamond are on the other side of this bookstore and they're doing the scene. But Fincher's just still talking about this. And I'm sitting here going like, oh my God, they're definitely going to do the scene again. Yeah. Like this take is completely. It's shot. It's shot. It's just shot. And so they get through the whole scene. They're acting their hearts out. It's, it's great, but it doesn't matter because the, the scene ended before it began. And. Fincher goes, cut, and he takes the headphones off. He's like, I mean, what the fuck was that? And he looks at me. Now, I know what he's talking about. The background artist was told to go from point A to point B, and they were not thinking about anything other than going from point A to point B. Like a zombie. And it looked ridiculous. He's not wrong, but it's just not worth, it's like, okay, just make a note of that. But it just ruined the whole thing for him. And and we're sitting there, and as we're talking, a makeup artist comes on, because Rosamond's still in the frame, and she's going to, like, powder her forehead or whatever. She comes on and David goes, I mean, that's how you walk. Like, you know, because she yeah. had a place to go. She had a reason to go there, right? And so she's not thinking about walking. She's thinking about, I got to I gotta do my touch up. I only have about 10 seconds. I got to get out. We got to do the scene again. So I think, you know, and, and I, I think for people like that, it's almost like a curse, you know? Like I remember when uh, he made, uh, uh, with the famous Swedish books, uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Right. And I asked Stephen, it was the movie was going to come out within a month. And I was like, how, how was it? I read the books. I, I'm dying to know. I mean, and Stephen goes, I haven't seen it yet. I'm like, what are you talking about? He hasn't shown it to you yet? Like of all people? And he, he goes, no, I literally think there's like a monitor, a computer screen in one shot in the background. And he's still trying to set the level of that. Like he goes, he can't unsee what he sees, you know? And, and that's the, the, that's the genius, right? It's, I mean. What'd you think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I haven't seen it yet. Because I was shooting, not not for any other reason other than I was on set in France. And so you don't want a blog post headline tomorrow. Matt <laughs> Damon refuses to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, I'm dying to see it. Actually, well, that's it your was... rival, Leo. I've been trying to start that rivalry forever. I don't think it's. You know where start. I am. I'm I Team to... Damon. Well, thank you, man. No, he's, I've been, I've been he's there a great forever. guy, though. He's 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 lovely. Departed. You guys went head to head. We did. We did. I had a ball working with him. He's he's great. Um, 
And I, and that movie was when if if you if you gave me what movies am I most excited about coming coming this fall? It was like that and The Irishman. I was just dying to see those. The reason I was interested in what you thought of it was because the Brad Pitt part was. I mean, he's amazing in it, and he's you know him, amazing. and you have a whole history with him. But that he's, part it would have been interesting in different people's hands. You were one of the people you could have played. I think either part in that movie, or at least made a run at it. Um, I'll have to see it. To but be there's able not to... a lot of like great A list parts like that. No, there's not a lot of great A-list parts uh, because movies are changing. The natures of movie, the nature of movies are 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 changing. Are in the middle of changing because of the 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 disappearance of the DVD. Well, this movie you're in now, which I'm going to talk about in a second, I think has two really good parts. But Talented yeah. Mr. Ripley was 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and I think it was like December. And when that's it came a movie, out, we shot it 21 years ago. Yeah. And that's a movie that I'm positive would not get made now. Or if no, it got made no, now, it would no. be all actors nobody had ever heard of. Yeah, but I mean, even then it was hard to make. I mean, we made it for $37 million, which was a really, that's not a big budget for that movie. For the scale that that movie has, I mean, we were working six-day weeks and working long, long hours. I mean, it was, it was that was a labor of love for everybody who did it, definitely. Um, and uh, It's on cable a lot, which means... Now, though, the young people don't even watch cable anymore, but it seems yeah, like know what that is. there's still an audience for it, <laughs> right. um, which I, I think seeing that movie in 1999, I would not have guessed that that movie was going to have legs. I thought it was great, but I, I was surprised by the rewatchability of it. Oh, that's good to know. That's It's good when they're rewatchable. It's I always a, thought that's how you should judge the movies, right? It's, like, it's got to be part of it. Yeah, the Martian's they? like that, too. The Martian's really rewatchable. You give it more time. You never know. The Bourne movies? Yeah. What's those, the most rewatchable Bourne movie, though? What was your favorite? Uh, Come on, you can pick now. You're almost 50. <laughs> uh, I always really liked the, the, the second one. I think the third one was kind of hit the zeitgeist the most. It was like the right movie for that time. It kind of, we were riding on all, all we had kind of the, the wind at our backs for the third. But the second one, I felt, I really, I always liked it because it was really dark. Uh, the, you know, she, her getting killed at the beginning and uh, yeah. it was unexpected, especially after we'd, you know, we'd, took all this tra- it was like we had to fight to get her in the first one right because it's like well who's she she's european and doug lyman who directed it to his credit said i don't buy this this american guy with amnesia being over in europe and bumping into another american like yeah what, what's that like that's crazy um and uh and i think you know and i and i remember at the time it was like jennifer lopez was interested and there were like big names that were interested in that role and doug really fought to have a lesser known european actress um, and, uh, and she was amazing. And so you go to all that, you know, you fight for somebody who you believe in because she's great. And then you, you, you kind of, it, it, it all works out and she proves to be like one of the best parts of the movie. So you, and you start the second one with her getting killed. It was really surprising. And, um, but also it was also the only way to get that character going again. Right. Because he's like, I'm out and I have this and I have a reason to live. And so it's like, if you, you know, it, it it propels that it's propulsive, right? And uh, and then and you're also with him because you're pissed off too because you love her too, right? Um, but at any rate, it goes from that kind of out of a canon start to, and it ends with an apology. He ends up going to this person and taking responsibility for what he did. And that's why the original John Wick worked. Yeah, they killed his dog. They shouldn't yeah, have done that. They shouldn't have done that. And then the premise that you're in from the echo, taken Liam Neeson, they took his daughter. He's got to go get her. That's it. You got to. If you can explain an action movie in like eight words, you're good. It's gonna (laughs) it's it's gonna work every time. 
It's so true. That's uh, well, what happens to old man born? Are you still making born in, in, in like 2038? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what will happen. I mean, <clears throat> he's at a nursing home and he's at a nursing home, but Normandy or something. Yeah. I don't know. And he just can't remember. <laughs> he can't remember why he's here, why he likes tapioca. Can't remember where they left the jello. <laughs> um, no, if, the, if anybody ever came up with a story, I'd, I'd, I'd do it. I love the character, but, um, but I don't know. There was always that inner thing that propelled him, right? Which is he didn't have his memory. And I think we've, we keep getting it back in stages. I think we've got my memory back four times. What kind of level does, of CTE does board have? It's I know. Like, it's, it's like really the last bad. level. <laughs> it's, really... it's a lifetime of cage fighting. He just doesn't remember anything. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to talk about Sales Genie, a product of Info Group. If you're in sales marketing or own your own business, listen up. For nearly 50 years, Info Group has helped professionals succeed just like you. We all know the number one reason salespeople and businesses fail in general. It's because they're challenged in finding new customers. Well, I'm here to tell you, all you need is the right audience to call on or market to. Sales Genie is the proven way to find, acquire, and retain customers. Sales Genie can't make you pick up the phone. They can't bring your next customer to your doorstep. Here's what they can do. They can provide you all the B2B and B2C audiences for prospecting, whether it's calling, direct mail, email, or display advertising. And if you're serious about finding your next customer and growing your business, give Sales Genie a call for your free 14-day trial, 866-574-5442. Or go to salesgenie.com slash bill, S-A-L-E-S-G. E-N-I-E dot com slash bill or 866-574-5442. Back to Matt Damon. I had uh, Edward Norton was here a few weeks ago. Oh, man. Great. He's in on Rounders too. Everybody's in. Everybody's in. Every single person is in, but I have a new plan. What's that? Netflix. Maybe they do it. Yeah, I bet they would. I I don't know who owns the rights. I don't know if- That's open on a Friday. People are watching Rounders too. I think so too. I think think it would be great. Do it in Um, 10 weeks. I could, I would do it. I would do, I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, and I know Edward wanted to, I mean, we talked He's about in. it. Yeah. We talked about it years ago and Brian and David have a great idea. Like I, we, we really should do it. Edward seems, uh, seems concerned about what happens to Worm and how much he'll be in it. I don't think he wants to be your caddy. I think he want he really wants Worm to I, I be agree. drawn out as a real character, which I agree with. But I agree that that's what people liked about the first one. Yeah. Right? He was, and I, I don't ever feel like, I mean, he got to do this really colorful thing, but he was the co, it felt like the co-lead, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's what everyone loved and they love, and it's that dynamic, right? It's that friend you have that always, you know, he's going to screw it up for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's really, that's, and I but think you have the history. They, yeah, you just you the history is always going to win. So anything. what's happened to them, right? I mean, Worm can't have been making really awesome decisions for the last twenty no. years, right? So what <laughs> stage is he going to be in? Like, what trouble in like the Costa Rican offshore, you know, gambling house is he in? Right, right. at the like, you know, I, I'm in a bit of a spot here, Mike. They well, want to kill me, right? It's like something you can see. There, there are a lot of different ways to go. Wealthy Mike McD, I think, is. That would work, and then Worm coming back because he needs money, right? And he knows. But also, but meanwhile, there's it. this other revolution happening in poker, right? Which is the the Doyle Brunsons and all those people who were just running the game when we made rounders. And, yeah. And now the common thing was like, hey, it's a skill game, and these are the best in the world. Suddenly, these kids came up online. Yeah. From like Sweden, you know, right. and I, like they've been playing ten hands at a time since they were twelve years old, and by the time they show up for a live game, they're like AI. You know, they walk yeah. in and they're and they're playing. 
And I was talking to Koppelman about it a few years ago, and he's saying it's the game has gone so deep into like game theory. Like it's just an unrecognizable game, the way it's played by this new generation. So it'd be interesting to watch Mike go back. You know, he was the young kind of upstart. He was kind of proved himself worthy in the game. But like now this new group is coming in of like. It's going to take him down. Right. And that, and that, and that, and that they are taking the game. They're they're like destroying everybody in their path. They're literally doing stuff with analytics where they're they're playing hands online the way they wouldn't play them, just so that they throw off their profile because people are reading everybody's hand histories. Right, they're sabotaging their, their own. Hands. They're sabotaging their own. It's what Tony Romo called out Belichick for. Uh, it was one of these great calls that Romo had a few a year ago or two where, where. The other team, I can't remember who we were playing, was coming down. And the game, we were up by three scores, and there's like five minutes left. And Belichick put this put his defense in, and they instantly, right before they snapped the ball, Roma goes, oh, this is so gross. This is so sick. And he, and, the, and, the, and whoever's doing the end is like, what do you mean, Tony? And he's like, oh, he never does this. He's just trying to mess with the analytics right now. Like he was literally putting in a package that yeah. he that he knew would get run all over because he was going to concede the score because it didn't matter at all for the game for the outcome of the game and because he wanted he wanted the uh, he wanted other coaches to be like flim flammed they're like well what does he do in this situation well sometimes he does this and sometimes he does that no he always does the same thing there but he doesn't want you to see I believe he does all that stuff so I am I. I am still in the corner that the Seattle Super Bowl which we actually improbably watched together that he was reading the sideline on the other side. Seattle, he saw the chaos and anyone else would have called timeout, but he saw something he liked and just decided to ride it out. And people are like, that's crazy. There's no way he froze. I don't know. I mean, you're, he was depending on Butler. If you remember that play. So Butler smacks, was it Tlaib who was right in front of him? So, so Butler walks up behind him. They were stacked up against yeah. each other, right? Now, I, Tlaib, I never played football. I thought Tlaib slapped Butler, right? No, I thought Butler or was one behind him. So Butler walks up and slaps Tlaib. In other words, to say, get firm on this guy at the line. Don't let him push you oh, off. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming in right here. Like, literally came right off his ass. And 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 because he recognized it because because Butler had been beat by that play in practice. Right. And he got a he got a talking to from Belichick. So he so my recollection is that that so if that's that's Belichick going like, I'm going to trust that Malcolm remembers that this happened. And, you know, that's a that's a that's I don't a think I don't think he was thinking that. I think he was thinking. They seem out of control. Whatever they're going to do on this play is probably not going to work. Let's ride it out. Maybe it'll be a pass. We'll get an incompletion. I'll stop the clock anyway. I don't know what he was thinking, but I don't he's either. staring across the sideline, watching them the same way you would watch like somebody's house from across the street. Yeah. I just, I I think he it goes back to the Kubrick and uh, Fincher and those guys. I think certain people are just different. We're not going to understand them. I don't know what he does 10 years from now. I, I think he's- I don't know why until- he didn't start Malcolm Butler in the Philly Super Bowl. Well, that I, and, one, and, and, and we'll never know the story. Well, I, mean, I don't know why. I mean, it's like you've won so many Super Bowls. At least tell us. Give us some reason why when we are getting, when they literally couldn't stop us. Did we punt? We didn't punt in that game. Patriots didn't punt. I don't, I don't Tommy think so. threw for what? 900,000 yards in that game? <laughs> like set every record. They could not stop him. They could not stop him. Are you worried this is our last year with him? No, I, I, I I'm... No, no. I think I know it, you know. I know you know what he's doing. I don't know. I've, no, I have not had that conversation. Hey, man, what's going no, on? No, 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 no. I wouldn't. I, I, it's 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 private. It's his business. I would never ask him that. 
And I, and I don't have that kind of relationship with him. I'm always really happy to see him. And, yeah. and like, I think the world of the guy, but. Are you happy um, to see him because he's won a six Super Bowls? I mean, Is that one of the reasons? I, I, I love I, I love watching people who are that dedicated to what they do. And he, yeah. he works so hard. And most of that work you never see. And I just admire that in people. I, I, I admire it in people in any field that they're in that, that that go after excellence to that degree. It's, it's awesome. And, uh, and it's inspirational and it makes me better at my job. But, but I, but I think, I think he, I think what's happening with him, like these people, like the decline of Tom Brady and it's his age, like he's in better shape now than he was when he was 24, without a doubt. And you just, you just got to protect him. They just need to, they just need to protect him. You know, the line, we've got all these injuries. We got people moving around. If if you protect him and give him receivers who can get separation, I'll take him over any quarterback in the NFL. So we're taping this the day after the Ravens game, yeah. which I actually feel like they needed because today has been a whole day of, oh, Brady's old. Pats don't have well, it's it. Gonna, it's it's our, like, this is great. We're back. It's our bye week, and we're going to hear two weeks of this yeah, nonsense and great. people screaming at each other on ESPN. Awesome. You know, Everyone like, back it's over. Boston. It's over. Yeah. It's like, you know, Coming up next. I'll yeah. tell you why. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All that stuff. No, nothing's changed. I mean, and people say, you know, they just look at his numbers and say his production is falling off. And you just go like, I mean, okay, he doesn't have Gronkowski this year. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been, you know, you know. The Ben Watson play, that was Gronk catches that every time in the second half. Right. The 25-yard seam route. Right. Watson drops it. Yeah, Gronk I mean. makes that play. Yeah, and, uh, and, and Watson normally makes that play. Right, right. I mean, that just that didn't go our way. But, uh, but. But look, there. You know, Sanu was great, and that Sanu was senior. Yeah, Sanu senior was awesome. That was exciting, and Edelman's always <laughs> that great. Our set. We have two seniors now. Well, yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's a big one. It's a bold move it's to throw the move. senior on your uh, uh, on your own uniform. name. Yeah, I like it. That's good. <laughs> but uh, so I, I don't know. I think you know when Isaiah Wynn comes back, like we'll we'll see. You know, if they can protect him, it's like, you know, I don't know. Would you want to be forty two years old and like? Yeah, I don't know how he does coming, it. I don't, it's like. Well, he's also, he's, the thing I've noticed this year, it does take him maybe a quarter to heat up sometimes. It's the old guy thing, but he's like a car. But he just doesn't take any hits he doesn't have to take anymore. It's like, you talk about like Fincher and their smart, brain works. Yeah. yeah, he's he's assessed all of the risk in every game. And it's like, if we run this play and it's not there in 2.1 seconds, I'm throwing the ball away. Yeah, which I love. I'm not getting hit. And I think, I think actually younger quarterback should look at that. Yeah, like Baker Mayfield. This like, is his Because you issue. sit there and you go like, you know, or Jimmy G getting hurt last year. Like, you sit there and you go like, I can keep this play alive. Like, young quarterbacks try to win the game on every play. Right. And what, what Brady's doing now is what Manning was doing at the end of his career. It's like, I got an idea of how I can beat you. Yeah. And it's one idea and I'm going to snap the ball and I'm going to look and go, nope, didn't work. All right, I'm going to try again. I got three chances to beat you. And that's how they're looking at it rather than like, it's got to be now. And they run around and they get scrambled and they get their heads taken off or they get injured. I remember his first or second year, he was scrambling to the right and just got absolutely tattooed by somebody. It was like against Pittsburgh. It was one of the conference people and bounced up. But it was like he would, five years ago, those days were over where he would never take a hit like that. Yeah, And I mean, by the way, you're taking a lot of hits anyway. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like when they say, oh, quarterback hits and hurries, like you still you're still in your 40s getting knocked down by a by a big, strong guy. 320 pound dudes. Yeah. Like, 
most human beings have never been touched by a 320-pound professional athlete. I mean, it can't feel great. But can you believe how long this has lasted? I mean, think about what your life was like in 2001. I don't know what movie you were making that I year. Watch, I watched the first Super Bowl. You've made like 10 Bowl. blockbusters since then. But I watched the. I, I know exactly where I was for every Super Bowl. And the yeah. first one was uh, against the Rams. I was in a Scottish pub in Paris. So we were sh- doing reshoots on the Born Identity. Oh, and uh, and <laughs> the and, predated a board, all the Born movies. Yes, the first Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, the first Super Bowl. Yeah, and it was two thousand two. So the the Born movie came out six months after it. Yeah, that summer, and we were picking up some shots in Paris, and there was a Scottish pub near where we were shooting. And Frank Marshall, our producer, went over and he, he grabbed me because this is you know, so he runs this Scottish pub. We can watch the Super Bowl in here tonight. I was like, oh my god! So we we go, we we get in there, and it's illegal for them to have you know be up serving beer at, at you know they're supposed to be closed at whatever one a.m. and the Super Bowl comes on in Europe at uh, you know whatever time two in the morning. Yeah. So we go in and uh, they've got blankets up around in all the windows to like black it, to black it out to the outside, so no one knows we're in there. And every Scottish person in in Paris has heard that the bar is going to be open. So they're like, they're all there because they're regulars at this Scottish pub, right? Yeah. And they're instantly Patriots fans. They know nothing about American football, but they're all like, go Patriots! (laughs) (laughs) Because the Patriots are the reason that they're allowed to drink till six in the morning. So it was an awesome place to see that that Super Bowl. So when you're filming, you're just filming a movie in Paris. So how are you following sports? Well, like I was how, just doing it. I was in Marseille like, for the last three months. Uh, like the Direct TV app. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, and and watching, uh, you know, watching on a sling box, you know, and 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 watching the game, like piping it into my hotel room through a computer and just watching it. So, but it's but the the night games are, you know, if I'm working Brutal, the next day, yeah. it's really tough. I mean, I for the Super Bowl, I would always stay up. The second the the second Super Bowl, we when we beat the Panthers, that was the night before I shot that apology scene in the Born Supremacy. So I was in Berlin. And I had the whole crew over and I stayed up all night because I was supposed to be ravaged in that scene. I'm supposed to be bleeding out. And I'm like, I have an idea. I just won't sleep tonight. Yeah. And, and you know, and I'll show up and I go. And, and so I did that scene just, you know, having just banged up, just just banged up and just did it. And it worked out great. Um, the but, last time you did the podcast, you didn't tell the story about the 2008 finals when you sat next to the Lakers bench. I, I didn't tell the story. No, you did not tell the story. Can we tell the story? Well, first of all, Phil Jackson told you to fuck off. He told me to sit down and shut the fuck up. (laughs) That's what he told me. So what what led to that? 2008 finals, you get into it with Phil Jackson. What happens? Okay, so we were, so we were, I think it was game five, I want to say. I can't remember now. I think it was game four. The comeback game? No, well, we, he came, we came back in that game too. Yeah. This was in LA. And but the game before we had been down like twenty three points in the third quarter and we'd come back and and won yeah so that game we're down it's they're at home the Lakers I mean and and we're down twenty one twenty two points in the third quarter and Paul Pierce just 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 goes full truth mode and yeah just goes bananas and 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 they they have this unbelievable comeback and Wahlberg was sitting like we had our agent has four floor seats and yeah. Wahlberg and I asked for two each and so we were the four of us were there um. And and we're up, we're standing up, and we're the only people on the floor who this are jumping. This is Game Four, two thousand eight finals. Yes, yeah, the comeback and, and and we're and we're screaming. You know, it's 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 you know we're we're, we're cheering on the Celtics as you do, and the, their run uh, was capped by I think Pierce kind of sliced through the lane, 
and like laid the ball in to to complete the comeback, right? Um, and and the Lakers ended up winning that game, by the way. So this wasn't the game where we came back and won. This is a game we came back and lost. Okay, but uh, but we won the series eventually. But when he completed this this comeback in the third quarter. Phil, by the time he went up to lay the ball and Phil's already up because he's calling a timeout because he's got to stop the bleeding. And Wahlberg and I are like, oh my God, man. And as he calls the timeout and he just spins on us and he goes, sit down and shut the fuck up. <laughs> he's so mad. <laughs> Which I get, look, it's like, you know, I can't imagine if I'm having a bad day at work and there are fucking right. people cheering for yeah, the, yeah. my, you know, my pain, right? So, but like, we're like, How's the Zen stuff working? <laughs> you know, it was great. Anyway, so that was my one factoring into the great tapestry of the Lakers-Celtics rivalry. What about, but you saw Kobe on the bench too, being being hard on his teammates, I thought. That was in there I too. I remember him saying, get them the fuck out of my way. Like he was just, he was like, he had that killer like, yeah. just fucking clear everybody out. I'm doing it. Just get him the fuck out of my way. And like when 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 the game started, he ran past us and goes, "Not tonight, motherfuckers." <laughs> like he was, you know, which is great. That's what you. That's what you want. Your that's your, good. Deep your, down, you admired it. Of course, of course. I like we like we all deep down admire the Lakers. We just could never say that. I'm still getting there. Really, with Magic Johnson? No, I admire those Lakers. This current Lakers team with LeBron and AD. I haven't now, watched them play yet. I, I've been out of the country. But. I did some podcasts before the season. I was making fun of the Dwight Howard part of this. I was like, there's no way. I can't wait for the Laker fans to talk themselves into him. And he's been really good the first two weeks. Now the Laker fans are like, hey, hey, you chuck yourself into Dwight yet? Right, so right, right, it's right. going. It's good. It, but the Lakers, the Lakers-Boston thing is great. It's, it's great. It's going to be there for our whole lives, and we hate each other. And then the Yankees-Red Sox thing is really fun, too. Although I wonder, like, do your kids— do they care about baseball at all? Not really. I yeah. mean, they care. They see that their dad cares, so they, they, you know. I but, don't know what happens to baseball. I know. I'm uh, concerned. Yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at any of the numbers of viewership and stuff. It just feels kind of anecdotally like it's it's falling off. And yet, you know, uh, talking to people on the film set out in France, the Americans, the, you know, the, the people who are our age still, you know, that was we we were following that series kind of online. The the, the the Nationals uh, Astros series. It definitely comes and goes faster. Like I remember the like the Diamondbacks Yankees World Series, whatever yeah. that was, game 7. Yeah, Schilling. I feel like everybody I knew in my entire life watched that game. Well, that was 2001. That was yeah. right after 9/11 too. Yeah. And that was the game where they had just they had just taxed. Buster only wrote a really good book about that yeah, series. He yeah. Did. Last I, days I, of the Yankee Dynasty. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, which is why any <laughs> Boston people like it's called Last Days of the Yankee Dynasty. I want to read that. <laughs> right. <laughs> But his point, which was really good, was they had, they had just relied so much on Rivera because Rivera was just, I mean, the greatest of all time. And 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 he just got to that. I mean, I remember Mark Grace's at-bat in the ninth inning of that game. He started it off and everyone was talking about it and nobody could get away from Rivera's cutter. Yeah. And Grace had that beautiful swing and he's just sitting there. And that first cutter came in and it just missed. And I think some, you know, maybe it was... Joe, uh, Tim McCarver, somebody said like, that was like his entire, like an entire career of being like a world-class hitter for him to understand that not to swing at that, you know? And Grace ended up working, and, he, and Grace, 
I think hit the had the most solid base hit in in that inning because remember yeah. Gonzalez's little flare yeah, thing, a dinker. and that's a guy who went from hitting what was it like it was like eight home runs to, to hitting to fifty seven or whatever it is, and like and you're like sure, right? Yeah, what a coincidence, yeah. you know what I mean? And and even he with that body of his could only kind of barely get that thing. I mean, it was a very unlikely win for that team. And Costner was on this pod like about three four months ago, and he was talking about for love of the game. And he told this story that I actually thought was going to be a bigger deal. I'm not one of those like, man, I hope this blows up. But he's basically like, they're making him throw 200 pitches a day or whatever. And he was getting help from the Yankee training staff. And by the end of the filming, he had to do this one long day where, and he just like his shoulder was shot. And basically asked the Yankee trainer, and this was like 1999, like, whatever you've been afraid to give me before, give it to me today. And the guy's like, all right, this is going to make you growl a little. He gave it to him. <laughs> and Costa went out and threw for like seven hours. Wow. And was like barking at people. And I was like, this is great. We finally have a direct tie to the Yankees. Right, 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 right. During the, during the uh, four World Series, but nobody cared. No, it had been like the Patriots, everybody. Was <laughs> oh, it was Belichick. Yeah, Can you yeah, imagine yeah. if the New England Patriots trader had said something? Yeah. Um, this movie you just made. First of all, I really liked it. Good. I liked it too. I like I movies with like stars just being stars and a plot I can understand. What I wasn't expecting was how like gripping the last 40 minutes were. Yeah. It's really like, yeah. You know, sometimes you, it's like, oh, I bet there's going to be a big race, but the, the whole thing is just, and everybody in theater was like super quiet and people are just really into it. It's really good. Great. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm really happy with it. And I don't, you know, it's, <clears throat> you don't get a lot of scripts. It's like going back to the, once upon a time in Hollywood where it's, where it's, you know, an original idea that is not franchisable. It's not, you know, the, there aren't a lot of opportunities to do that anymore and, and they're becoming fewer and fewer. So yeah, it was, a, it was, it was an easy yes for me. Cause it's a great director, you know, which is the first thing I look for. So Jim Mangold is, he did walk the line and, and Logan and yeah. it's just great. Um, and he'd worked with Christian before on 310 to Yuma, which was an underseen, really good Western. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. With Christian and Russell Crowe. It's really good. Um, and, uh, and so that, and so Jim doing it and then being able to work with Christian, I was like, this is a, this is a no brainer. And he did it again. He created some character that was some new version of Christian Bale. Yeah. I mean, there's <clears throat> the, uh, the guy that he plays is a real, uh, guy named Ken Miles and uh and there was some existing footage of of Ken and and uh Christian does a really good job of inhabiting that. Are you ready to hear from the car nerds? Uh, yeah, I mean I, I think I've are already the car, I'm no, a, the G, that's not a real GT forty I could tell because the back uh, well, like they're all gonna come out. Well one we did we did some press with these car magazines and car shows the other day and on one podcast the guy was like well you know or in one of the interviews he goes I mean I you know I was I liked the movie so much that I was willing to forgive the things that weren't true. And Christian goes, hang on, you know, we were doing the thing together. And Christian goes, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, let's dig into that. What do you mean? Wasn't what details weren't true? And he goes, well, Carol Shelby was six, <laughs> three. I'm like, that's what bothered you. My height. That's the problem. That's the problem. You, the this issue you have again. with it. This happened to you with the uh, rugby movie. Yeah, no, exactly. I, 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 I tend what was to, that guy's name, no, Francois Pinar. Francois Pinar. Yeah. Both as the boxer. Both as the boxer. I knew it was no. a Francois. Francois Pinar. And, and South Africa just won the uh, World Cup. Yeah. Um, but that guy was like 6'5". He was he was even bigger than Shelby. I mean, he was much bigger than Wait, Shelby. So he looked that like guy, a linebacker. That guy won Le Mans 
and he was six three, He's crammed in like a nineteen fifty five Porsche. Some of those guys are tall, like the like the GT forty had a little bubble on on the driver's side, and it was called the Gurney bubble because Dan Gurney was 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 pretty tall. Um, and and the only way, I mean, I get in that car, and it's like. You know, the, when the door opens, the roof opens with it, you know? So if you're tall, it's going to take your head off when you shut it. The whole thing comes and closes on you. So even I get in there and I'm like, this is... It's funny because there's this whole market for those cars from the 60s and 70s. I love those cars. Like yeah, those they're beautiful. Old... They're, yeah. But thing is, if you're driving any of those around in LA, it's like in any pothole or... Oh, I mean, yeah. If you're like, not... Where are you going to even drive that? I guess you'd have to live in the country. Yeah, and and also you, I mean, the systems in them, like the 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 brakes were the were the weakest link in the car, whereas now they're the strongest. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm yeah. Gladwell did that thing about it, uh, where he took a car to the test track and just you could just override the brakes are so good now that you can just override everything with the brake, even if your foot is on the accelerator. Um, whereas in, in in '66 when these guys were racing. Those brakes were like melting, like they literally didn't know if the cars were going to stop, and they were yeah. going 230 miles an hour, coming up at a wall, not knowing if they could stop. So I read you you guys didn't film the racing scenes yourself because you would have thought, like the actual, you had to you had to do like a mix, right? Yeah, well, some of it's yeah second unit, some of it's like real race car drivers. Yeah, yeah. Doing it. yeah. So you did, it wasn't one of those things where they had you at the track for seven months trying to. Christian learn. went. Christian, because uh, you you, you want to look like you know how to yeah. drive, right? You want your hands to be in the right place, and and. But I'm I'm saying like he's not at now. He's not going to start entering tournaments because no, no. all the skills he's learned. No, that's the thing. It's like you, you kind of as an actor, you end up as a jack of all trades and a master of none. You know, you know how to you know how to approximate how somebody does something but that doesn't mean you can do it i mean these race car driving is like anything it's like you, you, the the guys who are great have been doing it since they were little 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 kids and that's yeah. all they've been doing yeah they were racing go-karts when they were like seven yeah let's take a break to talk about zip recruiter sports teams face many challenges look at the red sox they win the world series in 2018 and now but 14 months later, we're here freaking out that they're not going to keep Mookie Betts. It's a challenge. Maybe they should have figured out the payroll better. Well, Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner faced her own challenge. She needed to hire a game artist, so she went to ZipRecruiter, posted her job, and found the right person in less than two weeks. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile... The rewatchables is going this week. We did the holiday. My wife is on this. It's Amanda, oh. Amanda Dobbins, Julia Libman, and my wife. So that's happening. And if you love Matt Damon, which you probably do because you're still listening to this podcast, we've done a couple Matt Damon uh, episodes on the rewatchables. We did Rounders. We did Goodwill Hunting. We're doing Talented Mr. Ripley at the end of this year. Don't tell anybody. It's supposed to be a surprise. But if you like Matt Damon, go into our rewatchables archives and listen to those. Let's get back to Matt. What are some other weird things you've learned how to do? It can be really random, like like uh, the Born Supremacy, the, that scene where she gets shot, where the car goes off a bridge into the water. So I had to shoot a scene underwater where I was in a car underwater and I had to swim upside down and get air in the little corner pocket. And so... So it, it instantly, if you have any tendency towards claustrophobia or any, you know, any yeah. fear of the water or drowning, and I don't have a fear of the water, but, but I, I worked with, the, I, I, I flagged it as something that might be 
a problem. Because the other thing is you're going to get in a water tank, they're going to fill it with milk and a bunch of particulate so that it looks like a river. And you're yeah. not going to be able to see, you know, so you're taking away like a few of your scent. You, you can't breathe. You can't see. You're underwater and you need conditions to change to survive. So you're going to, you're instantly going to go into lizard brain a little bit. Yeah. But what they did was they just took me to a swimming pool and, uh, and we built out a PVC pipe, um, a car, like a box. Right. And we, we did it. I did it underwater. Like I put the thing together with the, with the stunt guys. And then we would practice going down and swimming into it and sitting there and then taking my air away. And so it's all of this, these scuba diving techniques, but I never got certified as a scuba diver. Right. So it's like, I you know, at the end they were like, you should really just go get your scuba license because you've kind of done everything. But I just kind of never did it, but I learned how to be underwater without air and without being able to see, you know what I mean? And without panicking. So the goal is to make it look as seamless as possible. It's always a magic trick. So you just yeah. kind of troubleshoot. What is it that's going to make you think, see how I'm doing the magic trick. So in that scene, it's like, you get all those conditions. You have a bunch of different people, people who, under, who, who are underwater filming specialists or people, you know, you get the car, you, you make it safe. You make, you know, cause she's in that scene too. At, she's dead. She's already been shot. So, but she's still got to hold her breath and get her tank taken away. And you have safety divers with you and a whole system to kind of do it so that, and it's a really exciting, really tense sequence. And it's also a really emotional sequence, right? Because yeah. he's realizing as the audience is realizing, oh my God, she's dead. And he lets her go in the water and she floats away. And it's like, so it's a really important part of the movie. So um, then so, rounders, you learned how to play cards, but you, you actually like that. That was really you, fun. Well, that was, I mean, you because guys, you guys were all at casinos. We, and, and, and the, it was this really underground game then, right? Yeah. There were these clubs and you had to get buzzed in through the door and you had to go look up at the camera, like the way it is in the movie. You had to do that stuff. And Edward and I really got into it. I mean, we were in our late twenties and it just felt really fun, like, and cool. And it, you know, the, it was a different world. It's like, you know, you're in New York city and suddenly you take a right turn and go down a stairway and suddenly you know, you walk in and you hear the chips flying and the people, you know, and it's, and it's like, oh my God, this is like a whole subculture that I didn't know was here. What about rugby? Do you have to learn that whole thing? Well, I realized right away that, that, uh, that there's no way, like, unlike I'd done a football movie with school ties, right? And it's like, all right, here's the play. And you do the X's and O's and you know, you're going to run right between the guard and the tackle and you're going to, you know, and it's a very scripted thing. Whereas rugby is just a free for all. Yeah. And I realized right away, like you get the ball goes down and you get in that, like in the mall and in the thing and you go, there's no way to ensure that someone's not going to step on your face. And, and if someone steps on your face with cleats, like the movie shuts down for a week while you heal. Right. And so, so what we did, like most of that movie, we were shooting the rugby stuff and Clint Eastwood had his little monitor, you know, cause he's out on the field watching the movie, you know, watching what the camera's seeing and I'm standing next to him like going, Ooh, that looked tough. That, that, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that looked painful. So I didn't do a lot of, you threw the rugby. big black in school ties though. What's that? You threw the big black in school. I ties. did. I did. Brendan Fraser just throws me down. Like, yeah. yeah. Would yeah, be the, another one. I forget. There's two good football scenes. I actually liked him as a quarterback. I thought he we was had a, realistic. Well, we had a kid named, I believe his name was Billy Shar, and Billy was the quarterback at Syracuse. He yeah. took him to the Peach Bowl. And that kid, I mean, it was the first time I saw an NFL arm. Up yeah. Close. He didn't make it to the NFL, but he had an NFL arm. 
And I remember because we would have throwing competitions and I threw, I was 21 years old. I turned 21 on that movie and my best was 58 yards. I threw a football 58 yards. I was really proud of it. Billy would throw it 70 yards. Jesus. But more importantly than throwing it 70, 75 yards was he would throw it 40 yards on a rope. He threw the first time I, I did like a deep post just messing around. We were just kind of warming up. It was the weirdest thing. And I've subsequently read receivers who talk about it. They go, you see the ball when it's halfway to you. And you have a lifetime of like knowing how, you know, and it just gets there faster and it goes through your hands because you just weren't ready, you know? And it's it was, like a car speeding up or something. It, it feels like it speeds up. It's like that movie Fastball where they talk about that thing where the people say the, the ball rises because that's yeah. what it looks like. That's the phenomenon for them. It was, it was, it went through my hands and I was like, I, I saw you throw it. There's nobody guarding me. It's not even yeah. like I, I'm just, we're just messing around. And it was just this incredible velocity that it had. And I went, wow, that's another, that's another level. Do you ever throw with Brady? No, I would love to. I would love it. We did the thing where, where he and Jimmy came over and he threw the ball through the window. Did you see that? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he put it right on, they put that little sugar glass and that little, you know, little cross. I mean, he put the point of the football on that. Oh, so they didn't use like wizardry or anything? No, he threw a ball through the window. But like exactly in the spot that's, that he had. That's, to. He just did that. They were like, all right, so Tom, you want to throw it through that window? He's like, okay. Like Where's, it, Where's the Kimmel feud stand these days? It's we're, on hiatus? What happens? No, we're still, still going. We're, it's still, I mean, we're still, I think he still ends the show that way every night. I haven't been seeing the whole show because I've been in uh, France, but I, uh, I, I've been watching a lot of his monologues. I usually try to see what, what he and... And Molly are up. Did we ever point. talk about how I was working on the show when he started doing that? Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's why I moved to LA to write for when he was launching it. Oh my God. And the first couple months we, we couldn't get any guests after the first week. Right. Right. And Leno and, uh, it was basically Leno, but it was just squashing Letterman too, but it was more Leno because it was the LA, LA show. New York. And yeah, if you're yeah, coming yeah. to LA, you're going to pick one. Yes. 1130. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so Leno was just basically like, if you go on Kimmel's show, you'll never come on mine. Oh, I didn't know that. So within a month, we're booking the who wants to be a millionaire run-up yeah. winner and stuff like yeah. that. And it was so frustrating. And then at the end of the show, as he started doing them, my apologies to Matt Damon, we ran out of time. It was like an inside joke that we couldn't get any guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as he described it to me, when I went to do that primetime thing, it was the first time I ever met him. Yeah. And I, I was like, what's the deal, man? Like, why me? Like, what? And he goes, honestly, I just... He could have said anybody. Yeah. And he goes, I just said, he goes, I think I had a, a ventriloquist and a guy in a monkey suit as my, and, yeah, I, and I just, that's what it was like. And he goes, and I just said, my apologies to Matt Damon. He goes, and I saw my producer right behind the camera doubled over laughing. He goes, and I just started doing it. <laughs> but whenever I see him, it's just like, you know, he and Molly, you know, who's his wife and also his head writer, she's, you know, they're like, this behaves like no other joke in the history of, it's the same stupid joke. And, and it goes, it gets a lap. People are expecting it. And, it and people must ask you about it all the time, right? I, you in, in airports and everywhere, people are like, you know, fuck Jimmy. Kimmel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a constant thing. Like, uh, what was the feedback for the Brett Kavanaugh stuff on SNL? I just got asked about that this morning on NPR. It was the first time, uh, I, there wasn't much feedback uh, that, that I, I mean, I just, because I thought it was just really funny. So like, it I. was fun to do like a cameo that you could play this really distinct. I just thought, I don't think those celebrity cameos usually work for them, like in that kind of way. And uh -huh. I, thought, I actually thought that worked. I did too. I thought that because Kavanaugh was so out of control in that hearing that yeah. like, that all I had to do was just do what he did. 
Right. Like that weird sniffle thing. Like, you know, that, that like every time a woman questioned him, he's like, you know, like, <laughs> right. like what is up with this guy? And, uh, and, and so it, it's in the beer stuff. Like, you know, it's just, you just. To, to, and the th- three friends that he had. Yeah. Right. Right. Squee. And Squee. he's starting to cry. And it's like, oh my God, this is like. You kind of dipped into the school ties guy for that character. Yeah, well, that's bit. what it is. Yeah, and that's, that's it's the boarding school dickhead exactly guy. what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just play that. So, guy. with the last time we did this, I didn't know. After 2017, you went away for a while. You took your family and you went. I did. I went to Australia. That was because my, there were all these what, rumors it, online <laughs> that you moved to Australia and all this stuff. But you actually did go away for like nine months, right? Uh, it was like three, three or four months. Yeah. Oh, that was it. I yeah. thought it was longer. Yeah. No, we. It was. Uh, no, it was about three or four months. I think. Yeah. And what'd you do? Just camp? We did a lot Try of Try to get away from civilization? Yeah. It was right after my dad died. And, yeah. And, uh, and we, we just, uh, um, I don't know. We, you know, we have friends down there for one. And then it was a place my dad had never been. I think maybe there was something about me that wanted to, you know, I don't know. Uh, but it just, but, but also so much kind of came rushing back to me about, about, my relationship to my dad and, and, you know, my brother and I would talk about it. Like we were suddenly started remembering all these like shitty camping trips, you right. know, like, you know, where, you know, where we go to, you know, th- that weren't, I mean, I say shitty as a joke. Cause it's like, you know, you drive out to the Cape and you get a campground and, and, you, and it's like, and it's, and it's so awesome. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, well, let's make some, let's go on an adventure. Like, let's do something like we got this time with the kids. Let's go, let's just go. And your kids weren't like too old where it would have right. been, they would have killed them. They get pulled out of school it, for five months. Right. And all, no, well, we, well, we also like, we did it this year from, I think we went with, we brought two teachers with us. We went, let's go, let's really. And we, they were interacting with the school. And so it was like, the, Oh, that's good. Yeah. And those, I mean, and we're kind of used to that from movies. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll go and bring teachers who kind of interface with the school and, and academically the kids will get ahead. Like you don't, you don't want to do it too much, uh, I mean, just because school isn't just about obviously reading and writing, it's like the social stuff and the negotiation skills and all the stuff that goes along with, uh, with your development is so, is so crucial to be around other, other, other kids. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but to do it as an adventure and to really set it up with them as an adventure, like this is where, this is what we're doing. Cause they, you know, we moved back to Boston for that year and my dad was sick. Yeah. And I mean, he was sick for years, but when he was really sick and, and, uh, and, and, and it was a really tough year, but I'm glad that they got to see that they they got to they got closure in a in a in a, and I think a very healthy way, and they got to see what a family does, right? And, right. and 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 appreciate that and understand that, and and so they understood that trip as 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 what it was, right? Like a like a all right, you know, this is our this is our family, like let's go, right? It seems like you've really protected that family side, like people don't know that much about what you're doing privately and um, you have about as normal of a family life as you're going to have considering your position in life, you know, because I think it could go sideways in a lot of different ways. Yeah. It it can, and it still can. I mean, there, there's, you know, the online stuff, like I, I, you know, it, 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 kids will only start investigating, you know, they'll start investigating their. Yeah. When they're like 10. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, you know, which is now. You know, I've got a 13 and 11 and a nine-year-old. So um, That's weird. I remember my son, he was like nine or 10. He's like, Dad, this thing on YouTube, this guy hates you. Right, I'm right. like, why are, you, why are you looking at me on YouTube? He's like, I don't know. It's funny. Like, right. It's like, <laughs> right. 
Right. And but, but, but look, that's great that he says that so that you have that, you know, yeah. so that you can, you can, you can work it through with them. Right. Right. It's like, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's definitely a consideration. And, um, cause you just don't want it to infect your dynamic with your kid, you know, or really any of your, any of your real relationships, right? right. There's a, you know, there's the outside world and the, and, and the inside world. And the inside world is like, you don't want, you don't want the dynamics between you and the people who are closest to you to be at all infected by this superficial celebrity thing, right? It's, well, I think not, about that with Affleck a lot because he's, you know, his life is just covered in a totally different way that's yeah. really damaging, I think, in a lot of different ways. But especially, like, he's going to get coffee and there's yeah, they're, they're, people seeing if he looks all right. Or, yeah, oh, my God, he yeah. grew a beard. What's going on here? It's really intrusive. It's really intrusive. Particularly, you know, because, you know, Part of the you know recovery is 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 you know about anonymity, right? And that's a that's a crucial part of it. So yeah, somebody to be in that situation and have it and 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 have the added pressure of that whole element is just really it's, it's, it doesn't feel fair, but it is what it is. What's your next thing with him? Well, we wrote something together that uh, along with a this unbelievable writer, uh, her name's uh, Nicole Hollif Center, and she's just great. And uh, so the three of us wrote this. Um, this movie it's about medieval france and it was it's called the last duel and it's about the last sanctioned duel in medieval france which was between two knights one of whom claimed the other raped his wife and and so it's this really this movie about perspective and so ben and i wrote the male perspectives and and nicole wrote the female perspective and uh and i think it's really potentially could be really interesting so that was the first time you've written something with him yeah since 93 94 95 yeah. Yeah. In fact, 90, when we start that one, 90, 93. Yeah. 93. We sold it in 94. Then we kept working on it and it came out in 97. Cause you did the, you bought the Fritz Peterson thing, which I thought would have been We've, an awesome movie. <clears throat> it's interesting. We talked about, I still uh, feel like you could do that one. I don't know. We, but, but I think we will write more. Like we, it was interesting. Goodwill hunting took us such a long time. Um, and I think we 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 always told ourselves and each other we just don't have time to write. We're never really in the same place for for very long. Um, and then this one we wrote so fast. Yeah. And I think it's because in the intervening twenty five years we did nothing but make movies. Yeah. So we know so much more about it now, and you know it's just our 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 process was so much more streamlined that without even trying to, we didn't set a deadline for ourselves. We didn't. We just, I'd just show up at his house or he'd show up at my house and we'd write for three hours. It's like we'd take the kids to school or do we, and then we'd just go grab a coffee and go sit down and start working. And like, suddenly it was like, wait, we have 20 pages. We have 20 pages. Like, I think they're good. Yeah. I, like I read them again. Like, I think these are good. And he's like, yeah, I know I do. I think these are good too. Suddenly we, we have 35 pages. And, and before we knew it, we had two thirds of our movie. You know, and Nicole is every bit as fast. I mean, she's a professional writer. So yeah. She's great. And she's like, you know, faster than we are. And suddenly it's like, wait, we have 150 pages, guys. We got to we got to pare this down. Um, I, you guys should have gone to like the Soho house and just like when the writers go and they write at the Soho house. Just oh, got right. that table. <laughs> no, <laughs> we just. <laughs> would have caused a ruckus. I don't want to do it in public. Wait, we're now at the point, most important part of this podcast where you tell the Red Sox ownership 
how awful it would be if they lost Mookie Betts. We cannot lose Mookie Betts. I'll give you the floor. We, there's no world in which we can lose Mookie. That, that would be... I'm more upset about this than just about anything right I, now. There is no world in which we can lose Mookie Betts. I'm still trying to understand it and wrap my head around it because you can look up all the figures and see how much money they make yeah. from the team. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry they spent some of the money maybe incorrectly or they have some regrets, but... I don't feel like I have to lose out on Mookie Betts. Like I had Mookie penciled in for the next 12 years of my life. Yeah. Through 2031. I was like, well, that guy's going to be in my life. Yeah. He's, and a, my, he's my two kids. He's Mookie, a generational my wife. guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like he's got to stay in the Red Sox uniform. There's no, it's going I, the first time you saw him in a uniform that wasn't a Red Sox uniform, do you think you'd cry? Well, right. You're old enough to remember this how traumatic it was when Fisk came back oh, on the White Sox. That was honestly one of the worst. My, my code to uh, my house in New York when we used, there used to be a keypad and it was, it was, uh, uh, it was seven, two, two, seven. Really? Yeah. yeah. That was so because traumatic. We lost him to and he, and he, and he reversed the numbers. And I just, as a kid, for some reason I saw that as like, Oh my God. It yeah. It was like so a personal heavy. attack yeah. on us. Yeah, but it was like, but it was a righteous one. Like, yeah. how dare we trade this guy? You know what I mean? It was like, he was the soul of, you know. Um, well, it was worse than that because they wanted him to leave and they mailed this contract a day late intentionally, which made him a free agent. I think if that listen, happened, we have, we that have, happened now, that but, would have been insane. But we have, and we have owner, we have a very different style of ownership, brand of ownership now too. Like we're very lucky. We're incredibly lucky. Well, that's why I'm so hurt by this. I don't know. I, I feel like they've, for the most part, made really good decisions. Yeah. I don't understand why they don't see this would be bad because you're talking, he's for people under 15, he's the most popular guy in the team. Yeah. Just yeah. Flat out. Yeah. He's the high number one, and then it's like whoever's next. Right, but right. Um, I'm, I think it's weird they don't see that part. I just hope he stays. I hope, my my gut feeling is that they'll eventually realize, oh, wait, this would be absolutely idiotic. I we shouldn't do this. Yeah, I can't imagine they, they wouldn't. I mean, I really can't. They've been, they've been really smart about almost everything. They've been very smart. Come on, don't look skeptically at me. They've been no, incredibly I'm, smart. No, I'm agreeing with you. That's yeah. why I'm so confused by this. We've won four World Series in the last 15 years. It's amazing. They've made good decisions for them. The sale extension was not great. Probably wouldn't have done that one just because I didn't know what his health was like. Yeah. But for the most part, they've been really smart. That's why I'm but so But tell confused. me this. When 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 they brought sale out in the ninth inning it was of great. game five, it was I, that was the filthiest thing I've ever seen. And I started laughing. I was like, oh, my God. It was the first time I ever allowed myself <clears throat> during any of these World Series runs to say, we're going to win before we won. Yeah. You know how you would never, ever do that? Like, I didn't do it when 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 the ground ball came back to Folk and he started running towards first <laughs> that base. That going to trip. Yeah, I was like, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. I'm not saying it. But when they brought Sale in in the ninth inning, I was like, that is nasty. That is disgusting. Well, I mean, it was just the filthiest thing to do. It's like, we're not going to need you tomorrow night, big fella. Right. Why don't you come in and pitch one inning when we're up by however many runs we are? And it's just the most demoralizing and I loved it. <laughs> it was pretty <laughs> I great. I loved it, yeah. But I remember the 06 when A-Rod hit Bronson Arroyo's glove. Yeah. And then Jeter goes around third, somebody scored, and all the Red Sox DNA came back where it was like, oh, we're going to get completely fucked on this call. This is going to turn the series around. We're going to lose because right, right. they missed this play. And then they actually made the right call. They talked about it. Francona argued it. Yeah. And then it was like, the call's reversed, A-Rod's out, and A-Rod did the whole, what did I do? Yeah, what did I do? What do you mean? Yeah. 
Um, and then it was, no, but it was like, we're in a new world. Like I yeah. remember like going to the parade in, uh, in 04, I drove up, um, and, uh, from New York with, uh, Lucy wasn't my, we weren't married yet. And, uh, but we were together and we came up for the parade. I said, we have to be there. And my brother's kids were still little. So we went over to my dad's and we were, and they wanted to see him, the duck boats when they went into the Charles. So they were going to go down to the river. And I was like, I, I just, I got to run up to, I'm going to run up to Boylston street. I just, I'm going to see the duck boats twice. Yeah. Okay, they're going to go by. I'm going to wave and wave at all the guys. And then I'm going to run down to the river and I'll meet you. And I ran up by myself so that I could see the duck boats go by. And I sat on the corner and like by myself. Yeah. Grown man. I was 34 years old. And the, and the boats went by and I looked at those guys and I started crying. Really? I swear to God. Crying. And literally people are like, are you mad, Dame? <laughs> I'm like, no. No, I'm not. I'm his brother. <laughs> I just looked like him. But I was so, because it felt like something had changed forever yeah in a really incredible way and it is that thing in 06 where you go no you know what the fucking call is gonna go our way yeah because it, because it's fair we're right. gonna get a fair shake this time i remember the first time during that whole four game run tony clark hit that double down the line in one of those games it was a game four game five one of the extra inning games and it landed and then it bounced into the stance over just rolling around. Right, they would right, have scored. Right. <clears throat> and I remember when that happened going like, all right, mm. that's weird. Right. Normally right, we get right, fucked on that. Right. That's weird that that played out that way. Right. Um, and it was just a collection of moments like that. I, so it might be, that might be the moment, right? When the matrix got taken over by like the teenager it's yeah. either that or 16 when the Chicago Cubs win finally and Donald Trump becomes president and like everything <laughs> just goes, you go like, wait, there's a lot of unlikely stuff that seems to be happening. I would like, say it, the Cubs thing's weirder because that was, what, six days before Trump? No, it was right then. It was literally, yeah. yeah it, all stuff like it was like, let's just change the dials really quickly. Let's just start. Let's just see what happens. See what happens to these guys. If all of their expectations are totally upset. And we just see how they live. Like, let's see, you know, in, in, in that simulation where those, where those versions of those people live, let's just, let's take a look and Jesus. see how they react to this. What are you going to, you turn 50 next year. What are you, what are you going to care about? How's your life going to change? I turned 50, uh, six weeks ago. Wow. It's fine. It's good. Water's it's nice. It's fine. Jump on in. It's great. Did anything change? No, you do. The one thing I thought of was. I'm not in the 18 to 49 ad demo anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this that's is your funny. last year in that demo where you're just going, oh, I'm in the demo now. That's just discarded by, yeah. by I, advertisers. I, I had that conversation with my father years ago, probably 10 years ago. We were, we were, it was Christmas time. I, was, I had some movie coming out and we were driving up to uptown in a cab or, or no, in a, we would have been in a car if I was promoting stuff. And, uh, and uh, well, I was probably going to do like a morning talk show or something. I don't know. But we're driving up like Park Avenue. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, in the 20s and in the 30s. And and we're going by bus stops with all these, all the movies that are coming out. And my dad's looking at him. He's quiet for a long time. He goes, Matthew, jeez, I don't want to see any of these movies that I'm seeing advertised on the bus stop. And I started laughing. And I said, yeah. Pop, if you wanted to see any of these movies, then someone's losing their job. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you're not the guy we're trying to get. Like... You know, and we started laughing about that. It's like you're right. You're 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 in this discarded 
demographic that goes like, I'm, I'm, I'm well, look at my dad. Now he watches all three of those Chicago shows. They're on a row. Right. It's like Chicago fire, Chicago, Chicago PD Hulk. and yeah. Chicago med. Right. Right. Whatever. And he, and he watches them all on a row. And I'm like, which one's your favorite? And I, he was like, I just like them all. They're all, they're right. all really good. Are we going to go? Yeah. I think yeah. Go. Okay. Um, was that an hour? Yeah. Jesus. I think we're good. Uh, it was fast. Ford versus Ferrari. Yes. November 15th. And then potentially one of the great best actor categories of all time. <laughs> it could be everybody. Yeah, nah, could I, be all I, your peers. It's so weird. I, I never thought of this movie like that. I thought of it like a, like a, 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 a like a crowd pleaser, you know? I mean, and, and it's the rare combo. It's the crowd pleaser. That's also really good, which just doesn't happen that much anymore. Right. Right. No, it definitely worked out. I'm really happy with it, but, uh, but it was supposed to come out in June, you know, and they held it for this season. So I think that's the right move. I hope so. It'll work out. We'll know on November 16th. Things have worked out for you really since that Tony Clark thing. Maybe even a little bit maybe before that. that was, yeah, maybe it maybe was that, the, <laughs> the Matrix code got rewritten for all of us. So. <laughs> Matt, David, the sequel was good. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks so much to the one and the only Matt Damon. Thanks to Kevin O'Connor. Thanks to State Farm. Thanks to Sonos this holiday season. Immerse yourself in all your favorite holiday classics with a new home theater system from Sonos. You don't even have to get like crazy ambitious and get something that covers your whole house. Just get the Sonos move. It's great. I highly recommend it. Stick it right next to your TV. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and complete your holiday shopping. And thanks to Square, which is more than a little white credit card reader and more than just the thing that saved Fernando, Kyle's barber. It's got all kinds of tools built to run any kind of business from payroll to online stores. Go to square.com slash go slash BS to see all the ways you can take your business from square one to whatever's next. Two more podcasts for me coming this week. One more at the Book of Basketball 2.0. And then Thursday, we're going to try to get back in the horse with football. And uh, we're also going to talk about the morning show on Apple and a couple other things. So until then, see you.